Hello there, Agent K. This is Ineash. Hey, Ineash, this is Steven. Steven, what's with this Agent K business? Well, this was your help. I put clever men in black reference for my name because I couldn't think of one. There are no, um, like, real jokes that I think are tied to uh, the... I, I, I don't know. I, c- I couldn't think of anything creative, but the whole gnome guy gave me men in black vibes, so... Totally. You helped me How- remember that one of the characters named was named Agent K. Did you not see the original Men in Black? I did, but I saw it 15 years ago. I mean, same here, but like I remembered that their names were Agent some letter, and I just looked it up real quick. Oh, smart. I mean, I went to the IMDb page to look for quotes and everything, and still um, couldn't really find what I was looking for, so... There's no lines that, that stick in the memory, like from a Monty Python skit or something, but... Overall, it was, you know, still a very enjoyable movie. Okay, so, Stephen, uh, why are we here and what are we doing? Oh, yeah. This is that podcast where, called Not Everything is a Clue, where we discuss Alexander Wales' web serial Worth the Candle. I saw something recently. Maybe it was in a text where you put the not in a question mark. Oh, yeah, I was texting you about it. I put not in, in quotes, like, not everything is a clue? Because I think mm-hmm. everything is a clue, but you want the not in there, so... I, I'm pretty sure that not everything is a clue, man. Something's mm. got to not be clues. I mean, Bethel's name is a clue. I'm sure her, her, I mean, every, so far, everything. A clue in the, well, okay, fine. Fine, Amaryll- fine. Amaryllis's cup size is literally a clue. I mean. Literally a clue. Yeah. Which is why we don't know what it is. It's, it's as mysterious as the rest of the book. <laughs> but yes, uh, we are reading Worth the Candle, by, written by Alexander Wales. He has a Patreon. You can support him. We have a Patreon. You can support us as well if you would like. It's linked over at our um, host website, hpmorpodcast.com, and in the show notes, of course. And we thank you all, good sirs, for your patronage. And sirs and madams. Said, and madams, yes. I, I was using sirs in the gender neutral sense. That makes <laughs> um, sense. I think sir was, like, it was it? A, a title. Uh, I think you could have ladies, sirs. Huh. I don't know if you could just because I think knighthoods were reserved for men only, but maybe? I, I think know. That's a good question. I, I'm basically generalizing this off of the, the old um, uh, Helsing anime. Aha! Bosley was a sir. The female equivalent of a knighthood is the title dame, apparently. Ah. That, that probably makes more sense to look it up than it does to generalize from fictional evidence, so... Yes. Wait, hold on. Sir Brian, Brian of Tar- Brian of Tarth, she got knighted in season eight, but that's also yes. a fictional evidence. And B, we should all just forget season eight ever happened. So that is true. Also, in the Game of Thrones, Sir was spelled S E R because mm. it was yeah different or something. Well, for all I know, you said it with an S E R. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I, I, I might have. All right. Okay, so uh, let us go t- into a couple. Um, listener feedbacks before we jump into the show proper uh this comes from night space on the discord if Stephen is really doubtful about the stories that zona tells why does he think she hates uther so much i.e what is the source of that hatred that's a great question night spacer um i think that i'm i take them with a grain of salt in that i think that the, the outline of them probably happened but as reported it's it's being relayed to us by somebody who clearly hates him so i think that she might be embellishing a, a little bit um if I were to just to say, oh, she made it all up or, you know, she made up half of it, then which I'm not. I'm just thinking that she's embellished parts of it. Like, I don't know if he was as colossal of an asshole as she's painting him to be, but it could just be that she really doesn't like being controlled or having a compulsion to be controlled, which is why she de facto hates Amaryllis, too. Um, mm. So maybe it's just a response to that. But, yeah, I I'm giving her like 
I think that the the broad outline of whatever story she tells is probably true, but I I challenge the historicity of them. Like okay. the, the perfect accuracy. Yeah. Yep, I got you. And, you know, I guess there's no way we can know for sure if unless maybe we run into Uther at some point in the story. Yeah. Oh, man, Bethel's going to be so pissed. Yeah, right. Um, Jay, by the way, is a patron and had this to ask us back over on our uh, Patreon site. Uh, saying background chapters 84 to 88, you were discussing the sudden lack of game layer messages. For example, no quest for the tongue handmaiden. When I was at this point in the story, my guess was that this was a result of June reducing his level up value in his soul. In this interpretation, it was another example of the DM adjusting the game to what the player wants. If June doesn't value leveling up so much, then he doesn't value XP. So there's no need to give him so many quests. I thought that was a really cool interpretation of how messing around with your soul and its values could directly influence the the world and the game layer. And I just had to throw this in there too as, as a cool idea. That is really cool. Uh, that hadn't occurred to me. I, I like that a lot. And it does seem to suggest that fucking with your soul can have unforeseen negative consequences. Mm-hmm. So I'm inclined to like it. Um, yeah. I, I you would be on board. I mean, I, I don't know if I believe it, but I really like the take. Um, yeah. I, I think that it's just my, I think it was just the DM saying, Hey, I'm gonna be more hands off. Like you, you know, you do you and I'll just watch, um, mm-hmm. which was consistent with the followed following behavior. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll get more answers as we move through. Heck yeah. And speaking of moving through, let's yeah. move on to chapter 101 PPROM. You know, I, I decided that this episode, I was going to start like, actually putting thoughts down as to what I thought the meaning slash pun was of the chapter names. Mm, you chose so a bad f- week to do it. I sure did. <laughs> like they're basically all literal. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the only thing I could think of my first thought before I Googled PPROM was that like the RM might be read only memory, like as in CD ROM, mm-hmm. but PPROM is some abbreviation for uh premature something, something. This is the condition Emerilus has. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It could be thought of as like Solus is the pregnant princess read-only memory. Hey, there we I go. Don't, I don't know. Pregnant princess read-only. Read, yeah. Sort of. I mean, it's weak. Yeah, but we we could have found something to shoehorn in there, but there's no time because we got to move on because it's an emergency it because Emerilus's water broke and labor hasn't started for 24 hours. And this is mirroring what I said last week and uh, what June and Fen conceded is like why they're not going to read through the book that <laughs> Emerilus and Grack wrote about how to handle every possible emergency is like, I'll take your guys' word for it. You're the experts. So when I heard this, I'm like, oh, that's not a big deal. But Amaryllis is like, nope, we're going to the hospital. Fuck all the the other, you know, preparations we made. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm just thinking, oh, okay, you, you're the boss. You know, you actually know what you're talking about. Let's do it. Yeah. And they go into quite a few things that they already tried and went through. And like, they they didn't just say, oh, crap, my water broke and labor hasn't started. Let's get out of here. They they did quite a few things. And then they were like, ah, okay, this could be really fucking bad. Let's let's get going. This is beyond our abilities. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I guess, that they're going to the hospital while she's up and about and allegedly not in pain. Uh, rather than, you know, halfway through a terribly, go- like a terribly preceding birth. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they decide, okay, we're all going to the hospital. And Bethel says, I am coming too. And she folds down the house into this uh, little bitty fairy house on top of the staff. Because uh, apparently that counts as a house. Because she is the any house now. <laughs> uh, but um, 
nobody is quite sure like what the fuck happened with the time chamber now because it, they weren't sure what would happen if they shrunk the time chamber down uh and um bethel says well doesn't matter i was negotiating i guess we'll see what happens so bethel is like still being a total bitch in my opinion yeah really dick move amaryllis you know the medically medic in medical emergency uh pregnant woman is saying please hold on a second the time chamber what if we need it and the house for unknown reasons just wants to fucking come i guess and it's like no i'm doing this anyway suck it and uh yeah dick move so I agree. yeah i'm I'm also not sh- well it makes it clear that apparently all the stuff that was in the house she just dumps in this cave um which raises well we get there in a second but i guess part of the question is like is that so if you were if you were in a, a group and you were risking group resources on a gamble because you wanted to come along to the hospital, that's like a total dick move. Like this is this is something we all rely on and you're risking blowing it up for, I don't know, just because you want to be involved. That's bullshit. You should have at least asked us first. But on the other hand, she's a house and the time chamber is a room in that house. And one could make the argument this is like a a bodily autonomy thing like her room her decision and for anyone else to even say like oh you should have asked us first before doing that is incredibly unreasonable for uh, for those people and the only reason we we aren't taking bethel's side is because we don't think of houses as real people or something so i don't know like my initial reading was god what a bitch but like thinking on it some more i was like maybe she has a point i don't know like at some point you do give up some of yourself to help your your group and your family and stuff, but I don't know if she's been around for that long for it to really be that way. And there's some lines you're allowed to draw no matter what. So I'm a little I'm a little torn on it, but I'm still very much leaning in the direction of murder house is a bitch. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. It's it'd be one thing I think if if Bethel had a compelling reason or even wanted to engage in discussion for a second about why she needed to come right Mm -hmm. like what is she worried about that they're going to be in another building and she's jealous like that's stupid (laughs) so it she she didn't explain why she did it it'd be kind of like if june took all the party's gold and took it to arab's version of vegas and put it all on double zero right like it's yeah you know hey you know it's it's a party resource sure but you know it or what if he took like I guess that that's the party's gold, so it's not his. This would be like if he re-rolled his character sheet and put all of his points into comedy, and yeah. they asked him, like, hey, hold on, why are you doing that? He's like, because I think it'll be funny. And yeah. it would be, because he'll be a professional comedian afterwards, but that's a really bad reason, and now they're all fucked, right? I mean, they might not be all fucked, but probably, yeah. I mean, unless unless he can, can like, joke his way through the rest of the campaign, then they've lost their, their godman on their team, and now he's just the team comic. Yeah. So yes, there's autonomy, but when you're working in a group dynamic, you you give up some of your your autonomy, and at the very least, to explain why behind your decisions that are hurting the group. Yeah, usually, yeah. I mean, it really depends on I think also how long you've been part of the group. This is like her first hour in the group, so maybe she's not as committed yet. I don't know why she even thinks she gets she's allowed to come to the hospital. Then you know, sorry, hospital I, visits for team members only. Yeah. It's, good point <laughs> i mean I, she wants it both ways but she'll, she'll yeah i think that we'll we'll find a nice energy with her um, yeah uh fortunately it doesn't drain the sand anyway so but yes. that, that's pure luck right so but, we did yeah. not know that was going to happen speaking of pure luck 
when they're discussing like what what are the chances this would happen why aren't we prepared um amaryllis says this is probably in the bottom five percent of her uh her you know distribution of bad things that could happen and uh bottom five percent is also one out of 20 so corresponds perfectly to a critical failure uh which june comments on in the narration and that made me wonder like oh I wonder if the DM actually rolled for her pregnancy results and got a critical failure. And this is what's happening. I forgot that Junin mentioned that. Um, oh, he does say critical failure, in other words. Huh. I didn't even register that when I was reading it. Yeah, I I like where your head's at and good call out. Um, I, I, because it got them there to talk with the men in black, I kind of suspect that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much chance is really involved here. But... If this didn't happen, the men in black might have tracked them down like a week or two later in some other situation. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, the DM is going to, he's going to nudge things to make them happen, but he's not going to just like teleport the people to where they need to be at the right time. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, at the very least, uh, on they're, they're prepping to go to the hospital. Um, I guess at that point, they're already driving there. They're teleported. But I did have a quick question about uh, when they left. So that they, the house folds down to the staff and then what's cool is bethel can stand there and hold it so she can still mm-hmm. project the hologram and uh you know move the house like her actual physical structure around so that's yeah, cool since I'm, I'm assuming it's less than five pounds in weight then or something yeah good point and you know just she's fully mobile now so that's cool yeah um, i was curious so the when she folds up i was like oh no there's stuff but it just all gets dumped in the cave i think uh, so yeah yeah but then I was curious because June describes that he sees like the pile of things and and I was curious how he could see in the dark because I figured they were just like in some random uh, like chunk of wall in the bottomless pit. But apparently this cavern must be opened outside light. And that sounds uh, like a bad idea because it can be plundered. So no, it was definitely pitch dark um, when they were uh, when they just before they hijacked the, the ship. Remember, they turned off all the lights to let them see and it was a uh, complete darkness. Yeah, and that and the house can swim through the the rock like it's, you know, jello. And mm-hmm. when they went to go back through the the front door, it was just rock. So I assumed that she just moved further into the wall. Um I maybe I just, like she was just giving off some light at this time. Could be. Or, you know, small thing there, but I'm just hoping that their stuff doesn't get stolen because there's a pile of cursed items and the TV and stuff, right? So Yeah. Anyway, well, hopefully it'll still be there. Yeah, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Oh, we oh, have to, we oh, have to fight. God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on Airb, I'm just going to read this because, and you can hear the disappointment in my voice. On Airb, there were some pitfalls to magical healing, many of which I'd already had firsthand experience with. Get it? Firsthand? Because my hand was fucked up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> my comment was, "I hate you, June." My comment was, well, I replied to your comment and said, I love you, June. Mm. And my original comment was, this is a great joke and I'll fight anyone who disagrees IRL. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it's just a bad joke. It's funny. It's not though. First hand experience, you know, mm. I, I disagree. I thought it was funny. I'm, I'm, well, it's not even like the kind of, it's not even the kind of wordplay that like you dislike of like, oh, look, this word sounds like another word. No, there's just. This is what they this this alludes to what firsthand experience means, right? Like yeah, I've done but this. It's just yeah. not funny. <laughs> well, if you say so. Um, okay. Anyways, let's let's move on to things that are better than this. Speaking of hands, um, 
so the, one of the other hangups with magical healing is that magic didn't produce more magic. Um, so this, this confirms what you were talking about with Grack's hand being a big deal. Um, I, I was unconvinced up until this point that some combination of soul magic and fairies or whatever couldn't solve the problem. But because blood and skin and bones all have magic, you can't regrow those things with, I mean, to some extent you can, like as an average human, you can mm-hmm. basically regrow most of those things, but I guess only to a very limited extent and magic doesn't help you get around that. So yeah, since bones are magic, then uh, trying to make new bones using magic is generally not a thing that can happen. Yeah, I and I mean, I get it, but I was just thinking about um, like the amount of bone dense, like I broke my collarbone twice in my young years and that bone after both breaks was thicker in that area that I broke it than it was before. Um, mm-hmm. I broke it in the same spot. Uh, so I guess it didn't get thick enough the first time, but uh yeah, but if I, someone I, removed your collarbone, you wouldn't have regrown one. Right, yeah. But like my body is capable of generating some bone. Yeah. And so I, I, I would just like to think that, you know, magic would let you do more of the thing your body can already do. But because bones are special, it makes sense that they can't. Bodies uh, fucking annoy me so much. It's yeah. like you grew that bone originally and you're telling me now you can't for some reason? <laughs> Fuck out of here. Yeah. What the hell? That's just that's just lazy design right there i know oh i'm sorry you need gametes like i don't produce enough of those on a daily basis who's probably Redrix? whose fault is that yeah right fucking bodies <laughs> worthless need a new awesome cyborg body yeah well there i had one other thing about healing to pull out was that uh um they he mentions the unicorn blood which i'm glad because i brought this up ages ago that they should have stored vials of this stuff hmm. and it turns out that it goes bad it has a not that long of shelf life so that's a bummer but at least answers the question and apparently mm-hmm. powdered unicorn horn can accomplish some of the same goals so that's good yeah if anything really serious happens they can crush the horn and do a line of it i guess it sounds like that makes it start to go bad too because it's he says it's something you couldn't do ahead of time you needed the time to crush it and powder it uh you know when you needed it right yeah so i mean pr- presumably you can pulverize it fairly quickly but you can't do that like before you need it yeah so it's got a few minutes of shelf life after that point but they've still got the horn like in its full size yeah and so i guess as long as they don't break their nose or something and if they do have to snort it then uh (laughs) they're in good shape so right they'll probably they can rub it on their gums or something yeah (laughs) um there was another and i pulled this out because i thought this was like a writing thing that i i noticed and i had to check and then i was right so um because I was wrong about my other cool, fun prediction that I had. And I have to get at least one win per episode. And this is my not very exciting one. So um, it says that if Solace's lungs hadn't developed properly or fully, the magics we had available weren't likely to help her. We had asked Bethel's opinion back at the safe house, but she wasn't able to tell one way or another. But she was able to confirm that the baby was, so far as she could tell, either full or half Krantek with a steady heartbeat. And so they asked her about that last chapter. Like, cause she said, I, you know, Hey, I can look inside all of you and I'm a super, I'm a super sharp knife. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, this, this just jumped out at me as like this sort of retcon that might've come through in between chapter releases Mm. cause they didn't show this on screen. Like, Hey, can you do a quick MRI on Amaryllis? Uh, they just said they did. Um, so I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, something about it just jumped out at me as like, this is the kind of thing that I thought would have shown up like rather than just like, Oh yeah, this happened. Um, the only thing supporting my guess was that. Uh, there these did come out in different release batches. This chapter yeah. and the last ones. So 
So it could have been like someone asking on the forums or Discord or something like, why didn't Bethel do so-and-so? Exactly. So then he can just be like, oh, she did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I that very well could be. Um, it could just be because, I don't know, like we we ended the previous chapter with, I'm in labor, we got to go, right? And for it, to, that, that's a really good stopping point, And it's like a great hook. It makes you want to flip the page. If it had uh, then gone on to Bethel said, well, hold on a sec. Let me look inside you and see how the baby's doing. Oh, I can't really tell if the lungs have formed or not. Uh, it would it would be a much less awesome, punchy end to the chapter. Yeah, they could have asked her when she said, I can see inside things like before it was an emergency. Mm-hmm. But, but at you that know, point, they, they didn't really have any reason to. They just, you know, assumed the baby was going to keep on stewing. Yeah, no, I think your your explanation is perfectly satisfactory. Like I said, it wasn't a very good win. The only thing I guess that I guessed correctly is that these were different chapter batches. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Um, so they're in the hospital, and oh, yeah. and the doctor like wants to know a bunch of things. Like, how do they not know necessarily what the parentage of the baby is? How does it have Crantech? What's going on? Amaryllis comes out and says the pregnancy is a result of complex and highly advanced magics that we didn't and don't understand. And I had not expected her to drop that bomb right then on the doctor. I was, that was like, Oh, Holy shit. Yeah. I, first of all, achievement unlocked full disclosure. Um, I'm glad that doctor patient confidentiality is a thing here too. Like in general, you can't, doctors can't help the patients if the patients are incentivized to keep things from them. You know, I, I know of doctor patient confidentiality, but like whenever my doctor asks me if I take any um, non-legal drugs, I never tell them about like the LSD or anything. I'm just like, nah, nothing really. Do you think I should? Um, I, with I, that like, one in particular, one... I'm not a doctor, mm-hmm. but LSD is taken in such minute quantities that it's unlikely to interact with anything that you're prescribed. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. But, I would guess, no. but yeah, I mean, that I, wasn't I tell my, my reason for it. It was just because, like, I didn't want to be judged or whatever. Maybe, maybe I should just fucking tell him. Maybe you know that's a tough call because if you're there asking for drugs, right? Like, hey, I want this <laughs> this prescription, true. and they ask you, do you take any other drugs? Like, oh yeah, you know, I take party drugs once in a while. Like, and you're asking, you're there asking for like I don't know an Adderall prescription or something. Then they might be right. like, oh, you're, you like to party with drugs. I don't know if I want to give you drugs that can be abused at parties. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I guess there, there's there's a trade-off there. But like in general, I'm very forthcoming with stuff. Uh, but it depends. Honestly, we just got to make it legal for people to be able to buy what drugs they want and not have to go through a doctor. Yeah. But as long as it's going to – as long as it stays legal to sue a doctor for fucking up. And yeah, but you're right. If we get rid of the – you know, I need a permission slip from this guy to let me take the pills I want, then that yeah. wouldn't be a problem. Then I would just be like, hey, these are the pills I'm taking. Any bad effects from these that you know of? Yeah. Yeah, well. So they, uh, they're at the hospital and June and Amaryllis are going to, you know, be in the room and be around each other the whole time. And Finn and Grack are basically being told to stay away from them because, uh, June and Amaryllis want to look like a normal couple and not draw any attention and stay on the DL. And Finn and Grack are not normal in any sense. Um, and I don't know. I think that kind of sucks because like an adventuring party is basically like a family or theirs certainly is at this point. And I imagine most are because you go through some crazy shit together, but for everyone else who just like looks at them in the hospital, they don't, they don't know they're a family. They don't look like a family. All they see is a bunch of strangers crowding around that aren't related and shouldn't be there. 
And I think that's a bunch of BS and I really dislike it. And at least part of that is rooted in the fact that sometimes um, extended poly families have that same kind of trouble. Um, I know gay couples used to have that trouble as well. And I just, I think it really sucks that, that other people can't see that you're a family unit. And so people get excluded. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I know that like, you know, you still get bigoted doctors who refuse to use the word like wife or something if, if a woman is there with her wife. But like I, I've I've and fortunately, I don't have a ton of hospital interactions, but I don't know if it happens like all that often. And it probably doesn't happen to most people during the entire course of their lives where they want to see somebody in the hospital and someone's like, no, you're not family. Like I've gone to visit friends in the hospital and Nobody even stops me. I just walk through the entire building by my, you know, without, without doing anything. Like there's no security. There's no one, you know, I've never walked into an OR or something, but I've gone into (laughs) post-op rooms and all I just do is walk through the front door. So I think in general, nobody cares, but, uh, in defense of like the, you know, we don't want a large group in here, like having to shoulder your way past a, a, a party of people to get to your patient probably would be super annoying and possibly life threatening. So mm, I yeah. get why they want to limit the size to, you know, ideally they'd probably say like, look, everyone else get the fuck out. I don't want to be impeded getting to this cabinet. If like, I need to run over there because I see this problem is going to kill her in 10 seconds. Like, yeah. so I, I think that like having a small group makes sense medically speaking, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I don't know how to finish that sentence. I don't have, a, I don't yeah. have a very strong opinion on, um, but yeah, in general, I, it, it would be weird to me if a patient said no i want them to be able to come in and unless physical capacity is is the reason i i can't imagine any sensible thing for the doctor saying no sorry i've got a rule that it's only you know legal spouses or some bullshit right right that would be pure insanity if if the patient has has a has an expressed desire i i can't imagine any good reason for the doctor to to say no sorry i'm going to go by the by my preferences or the law or whatever right yeah. Yeah. I'm, I kind of think of it like there, there have been times where we were restricted uh, going to the room, but it was always like no more than two people in the room at once. It wasn't, you know, they weren't checking our credentials or any, or relatedness or anything like that. Yeah. They don't check your idea and ask how you're related to the patient. Yeah. You're, but you're right. It's, it's two or three people or whatever the size is, it's capacity. Yeah. And that yeah. makes perfect sense. You know, if they need to run out to the, to the hallway to grab a crash cart and then run back in, they don't want to be like, excuse me, excuse me, can you move or push you and have you break an arm and sue. So. Right. Well, in that case, this case, I just feel bad for June and Greg for not being able to be there for, because they're different looking. That's true. Although they show right. up. Yeah. So yes, it's just, do. it's just about walking in and trying not to draw eyes. That part makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of eyes, Amarillo, or in June's eyes, he says, in my eyes, Amarillo is suffering by virtue of being a better person than I was. And I like that. And he says, is there anything I could do for you? And she says, fight off the ninjas when they show up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what friends do. I'm, I'm glad. I kind of like that she's already expecting something bad to happen and, and just telling June to be ready for it. Yeah. And in a funny way, too. This might be one of her first jokes. That was funny. Um I mean, unless she's actually expecting ninjas, but there's something else. But as far as he knows, there aren't there aren't ninjas on Arab. Or if there were, they're really really good at staying hidden. That's how you know there are ninjas there because you can't see a true ninja. (laughs) Exactly. I really hope there are ninjas. (laughs) Hell yes. Uh, It might be a clue that there's actually ninjas. It might be. I mean, 
you know, in the immortal wisdom of McCarthy, I mean, the fact that we haven't seen any evidence, I know that was communism, but, uh, the, you know, the defense of the Japanese internment camps, the fact that we've seen zero evidence of a Japanese American conspiracy to attack America is just proof of how good the conspiracy is. Exactly. Yeah. You see, you get to have your cake and eat it too. Um, I like that kind of cake. This is anti-rationalism for anyone who's taking us the least bit seriously. Right. Okay. So June looks over at crack and uh, I had two things to pull out about his, his wardrobe here. One, um, He's wearing like earth clothes Mm -hmm. and I'm guessing it's just because he didn't want to get birth mess all over his armor and he reaches forward and takes Amaryllis's hand with his good hand, squeezing it lightly. And I was like, well, his hand is by default his good hand Uh, Yeah. until we learn that he has a prosthetic and I'm pretty sure that's the first time it was ever mentioned. I certainly don't remember hearing anything about a prosthetic beforehand, you know. Yeah, so I had this whole cool thing about like, oh, I bet that Bethel, instead of being a you know a hologram carrying a stick walking through the hospital, made herself a hand shaped house and is sitting on Grack's wrist. That would have been so cool. That would have been so badass. Yeah, yeah. And then then that turned out not, not to be the case. So, I you know the, his prosthetic hand is never like described either. I assumed it was basically just a, a hook, but I don't know. Yeah, it seems I don't. It's it's almost a bummer because they brought attention to it and then did nothing with it. And I I thought like mainly it's a bummer because I was like oh because I had the thought later on like it sure would be handy if this happened and it was great but handy oh shit is Bethel Grack's hand and mm. then no so I had my whole like oh look I nailed this thing all planned and then I got proven wrong so it was probably something that him and Amaryllis whipped up together in his first month in the room. I just wish we would have heard about it earlier. Yeah. And his wardrobe change, you know, and it's all this is coming. Out of lo- I mean, I guess he probably just planned ahead um, yeah. as in like, let's not go to the hospital decked out in armor because that'll draw eyes. Mm. So Grax a smart dude. Speaking of drawing eyes. Yes. A gnome shows up in a sharp black suit and he is skulking. Is it skulking? Yeah, that's a word. Okay. All right. Uh, he's skulking around, clearly waiting to talk to the Council of Murder Hobos. <laughs> uh, and Finn goes up and says, after you know, saying, "Hey, how you doing? Hey, who's that fucking guy out there?" <laughs> she puts it perfectly. Mm. Uh, I, I pulled this out because uh, when he describes him, he describes him basically as a uh, well, as a gnome. Uh, but he says, "I have seen a few gnomes and hobbits on Arab, and." I don't think hobbits have passed into the public domain yet, so I'm assuming Alexander's going to have to change this for the uh, published print version. I I don't know. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, I wonder. I, I'm sure this is an easily Googleable, Googleable question, but I didn't check. I mean, hobbits are so generic, but they might still legally be, you know, trademark Tolkien's, so... Hobbits, no, the hobbits are not at all generic. They're specifically a Tolkien thing. Um, the Dungeons and Dragons, when they first came out with their edition, they created halflings, which are, I mean, you read the description, they're literally hobbits down to the fuzz on their feet. But <laughs> they use the term hobbit because hobbit is an invention of a uh, Tolkien and uh, trademarked him. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess, yeah, what I meant was that the the archetype of hobbits is generic enough that it's it's in common if not like common household language, because everyone talks about hobbits all the time, but everyone knows what a hobbit is. Um, yes. But you know, it like was elves like it, aren't, aren't Tolkien because he didn't invent elves, but you know, right. again, they're like as popular as elves, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. So 
you know, well, so, if, I mean, if Alexander before- has, wants to publish this, he can just do a control, you know, F for Hobbit, change it to halfling and he'll be in the legal clear. So exactly. But I, I think you're overestimating how well-known Hobbits are like, Elves and dwarves have been around in in fairy tales forever, but like hobbits, they were created by by Tolkien. At least the word was, and um, like it wasn't. I mean, nerds knew about it, but until the uh, the movies came out in early, God, it was in the early two thousands, two thousand, two thousand one, something. It was like two thousand one. It was twenty years ago. <laughs> okay, until the movies came out, like the general populace didn't really know what the term hobbit is or was or meant. Like you, you didn't hear it outside of nerd circles. Hmm. Yeah. I suppose that makes sense. Anyway, the gnome, cool. the, the gnome was giving me seriously, you know, was giving me uh, Men in Black vibes. Heck yes. Like you, you get some guy, to. yeah, you know, sinisterly looking around the corner and, you know, sharp, sharp black suit and like, okay, yeah, he's obviously bad news. And like, he's not, he's not obviously a cop. He's obviously yeah. something more severe. So I pictured him in sunglasses too, even though he's not described as having sunglasses. He's totally got sunglasses. He just didn't mention them. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, he introduces himself as Figaro Finch, an agent of U- the Uniquities Division of Imperial Affairs, and he wants to talk to them. And that is worrisome. Yeah, and his badge like mind whammies June for a second. Like he can't think of anything but look at the badge. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, he just like A, lost a will check or something, but B, um, this is, I don't know. I suppose if he wanted to, he could, you know, put the badge in his face and just push him out the door and take him down to the to the squad car, right? Um, maybe it seemed like he just like it drew his attention. I think that's probably a good little um enchant to have on a badge. Like when you whip it out, people look at it because then then you can't ever say like, oh no, I didn't see his badge. I thought it was just some dude in a suit harassing me. Yeah, I I guess I got the impression that it was like a a full on like wow like oh that he could hold in his eyes, but ooh maybe. I don't know. Yeah, either way, uh, at this point, like, Fen had gone off to take a nap and Grack went somewhere else. So, like, at this point, it's just like, why Why is the party, what is the point of being preps to the teeth like they are if they're going to split up and take naps? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, all right, everyone suit up and gear up, be ready for anything, and I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, well, I mean, I'm not even sure what floor I'll be, be on. I'll see you guys in a couple of hours. So You can't be in the room, though. So, like, what are you going to do? Hang out in the hallway where everyone will notice that there's, like, an elf and a dwarf guarding this door? It, it would be very conspicuous. Yeah, but they could sit, like, at far ends of the hallway, like, in front of other doors or something, right? Like, yeah, pretending maybe. like they're waiting to see other patients. Yeah. I'm just but saying. I, I hear you. I still, yeah, maybe. I mean, also, you need to rotate the guards and let people sleep and stuff. But anyways, Finch gets right to the point. He points to the curtain and says, <laughs> is that Amaryllis Pendrag? <laughs> like, holy shit. At this point, I said, the jig is up. Cheese it. <laughs> yeah, I um, I think my thought was like, oh, come on. You think I'm fucking a princess? Thanks for the compliment, stranger. Like, no way. Nice. Uh, you think that's a princess? Um, oh, please. I'm just a humble like horse whistle or whistle i forget what his fake name was <laughs> horse whistler i think yeah and it's like you know last name last name is typically a profession so what do you do oh i'm between jobs like <laughs> that was a great line <laughs> i've run out of horses to whistle at that's right um yeah so but, they get he like you said he jumps straight to it i love it so much yeah and he's putting pressure on june to talk to her but the doctor who's the most badass doctor ever comes out and says look whatever business the empire has it can wait she is only to be moved from this hospital under extreme circumstances and then only with my express consent 
because he is like the doctor version of Ropey, being the best doc ever. Yeah, and he's got like pale skin and giant red lips or whatever. So he reminds me of a vampire, but uh, so I just called him Doctor Vampire Dude. Oh, this place might actually have vampires. It didn't even occur to me. Did they give his name? Uh, maybe I'd have to double check. I'm sure they give it at some point. It would be awesome if his name was Carlisle. He actually was a vampire doctor. Oh, doesn't ring a bell, but Um, uh, it's it's from um not Charmed, God Twilight. Oh, that's funny. Uh, no, I just meant that. Uh, I don't think Carlisle was in the chapter, Um, so they did name him. It wasn't that. But yeah, I just like how he's just no nonsense. You know, and I'm sure he knows who this guy is and what his authority is, and he probably knows exactly where his authority is. And it's like, yeah, sorry, no, you have to go through me, and I'm saying fuck off. Yeah, that was really interesting because, like, I assume when I see men in black with badges walking around that they're going to just be able to walk over anyone. But Finch uh, either didn't have enough evidence or capital to push past a doctor and cause an incident, according to the text. And, like, it it puts the Empire's comparative lack of power in perspective there that it is more like the UN, I guess, where where he needs to have he would be losing a lot to try to go up against even just like a doctor and he needs a little bit more oomph. He can't just say, Oh, fuck you. I'm CIA. Get out of my way. Whereas like, I think if the actual FBI or CIA showed up in a hospital somewhere and tried a doctor, tried to stop him, they'd be like, yeah, I, I don't give a shit about you. You know, goons, get this guy out of my way kind of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, they could be that, that this, this could be an actual legal battle that, that Finch would lose here. But um, I, I got the impression kind of right away that this was a para empire operation. Like, you know, if, um, if Will Smith and men in black was trying to go see a patient in a hospital, he's like, I'm with the men in black. And it's like, you can't just say that. Cause a, no one knows what that means. And B part of your whole job is to stay secret. Mm. And so, you know, it might be like, I think that the, the division of uniquities is supposed to be known. So they're not quite men in black level secret, but I get the impression, and I had it from basically earlier on, where they're like they're not operating in a one hundred percent official capacity here. Yeah. So, like any any legal fight that they got into, they they would win because hey, look, we're the we're the fucking you know we're the government's uh you know uh stick. Yeah. Yeah. Hammer for legal special operations. Yeah. Yeah. Special circumstances division. Totally. But I think that they're here on kind of unofficial business. So mm-hmm. I think that's the actual reason. But yeah, I just had the my initial thought was like, oh, they're they're a super, super secret organization and they don't want to raise attention. OK, but, I mean, yeah. I assume they couldn't be that secret if they announced who they were. But yeah, yeah, I I'm getting scrambled. We'll have to push past it. Um. Okay, <laughs> but um, Amaryllis turns out is actually pretty glad that he showed up because uh, she knows that she's in a, a narrative of some kind, and if she's pregnant and the you know the baby's coming, it's got to be something interesting to to keep the reader's attention or the game player's attention or whoever. And uh, she was worried that that interesting thing was going to be her pregnancy. She was going to get fucked up, or the baby was going to get fucked up, or something bad was going to happen. But now that Uniquities is here, that can be the interesting, cool thing that uh that takes the lead here and she's like oh thank god now uh now i don't have to worry about the baby as as much and uh i thought that was a really good point like i hadn't been thinking along those lines but now that she points it out yeah it's it's kind of suspicious that just as the delivery started that's when finch shows up right (laughs) yeah these are the ninjas that june has to fight um it's 
It's interesting, you know, I get where her head is at, and she's not going to let go of narrative no matter how much the dungeon master insists he's not doing it, because A, he probably still is a bit, and B, well then again, I mean, the men in black are here because they want to help support Amaryllis, they get to that later, but, like, support her in what? It wasn't until basically in the last subjective nine months or outside view week that Amaryllis said, hey, let's 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 actually take over the planet. Um so I don't know if the DM set this up or not. Like the, you know, I don't know the, the narrative thing at, le- at the very least, I get where her head's at. Um, and like, it would be kind of boring if, if it went smoothly. Right. Yeah. If like this all just worked out fine, like I'd be happy about it, but it'd be like, Oh, that, mm-hmm. that was narratively unsatisfying. Why and, did I read these two chapters where nothing happened? I mean, you know, stuff happens and stuff happens that I care about. Solace is back. Everything's great. But like, Huh, that you know. Well, but if nothing had happened, I mean, it would have been kind of boring. Yeah, everything everything went to plan, huh? Well, that's that's good, I guess. Yeah, so that I mean, you know, if it's not going to end in tragedy, then it's got to end with a sword fight on the roof. So, <laughs> right, uh, something. That was my guess at the time was a sword fight, but no, nah, it ends with a nice, di- you know, stressful diplomacy. So yeah, well, it was a verbal sword fight. That's right. Uh, she, not she. Um, June thinks about uh, thinks about this and how there's going to have probably need to be a failure with Finch uh, since Finch is the com- uh, complicating thing if the birth has to be successful because he says that uh, failing with Finch ought to mean that the birth would succeed. At least that's how I thought about narrative, a balance of failure and success to make the success bittersweet, which I think is, first of all, confirmation that June likes tragic stories. You can't just have successes. You need something to balance them out and make, make you know, everyone be like, I guess life does still suck, even in, even though it doesn't suck in some parts. And uh, I think that June should just fucking put on the eyeliner already and join us because <laughs> it's awesome over here. And I repeat, we still have cookies. Those cookies are getting staler by the minute, June. Get over there. I know. Come on. Yeah. So June decided like explicitly to himself that he's not going to live his life through a narrative lens for the sake of his sanity, which makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. It's not eminently pragmatic, which is why Amaryllis is still doing the narrative thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that like the idea is put on the table... It seems like he can't just ignore it, which it would be irresponsible, you know, if he's going to not live his life by narrative mentality because it would literally drive him crazy or make him not care about his, you know, family and friends or whatever, then that's one thing. But the other thing, too, is, I guess, worth pointing out that the DM does not share June's uh, sense of narrative because there's no failure involved. You know, what what the DM wanted, or I guess at least what happened was we got some cool tension that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's not like it's not like this right. ended with June being carried away in handcuffs and and Solace being born just fine, right? Yeah, I mean, spoilers for the end of this episode, nothing nothing goes terribly wrong. They get a new ally and a new Solace and uh all sorts of good things. Yeah, everything kind of works out. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's probably a clue now that I think about it that June isn't the DM because the DM does not share her sense of narrative. Interesting. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, we move back to the rest of the group coming in, and uh, Bethel walks in. Ropey's wrapped around the strap, and he's wrapped around the strap with elaborate or the strap, the staff, um, with elaborate knotwork that struck me as a little bit too intimate. I was used to his knots being economical. <laughs> and is June jealous of the house now that no, he thinks Ropey's knots are too intimate, and he's cheating on him with the house? I think he noticed that Ropey's in love. 
<laughs> right? But why does he, why does he just say a little bit too intimate? It's like they're having a cool thing. I think he shares my reservations about it. So I think, so then he also noticed that uh, um, Bethel rests her hand on Ropey rather than on the staff. And mm-hmm. so Ropey's in love, which is adorable. And yeah. I think Bethel being in love with Ropey is less cute. I think that's why June thinks it's too intimate. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's bad news. Yeah, my, my mental image of Ropey is that he's cute and innocent and pure. And Bethel is a psychopathic mass murderer in recovery. Right. So it's cute that Ropey's in love. It's not cute who he's in love with. Yeah, and it's definitely not cute that the feelings are returned. Yeah. Yeah. Assuming that this is, you know, what's actually happening and he doesn't just practice and not work for some other reason. Mm, but I like, our, I like our fan theory here. <laughs> but touching is tight. <laughs> okay, so um, the... Uh, continue to, they continue to speak about narrative and June is just thinking that if Arthur made his choices based on what he thought the story wanted, it would explain so much about his failures over the years. They would make sense as a sacrifice to the greater good, maybe. Like, uh, like he lets lesser tragedies happen in order to keep the narrative balanced and prevent even greater tragedies. And, I mean, that's possible, I guess. Like, maybe he had to do something horrible that sucked or else the world would be destroyed and uh he made that trade-off but like i don't know it it also sounds like like a convenient excuse do you think this tracks i mean it definitely would explain probably some we don't have like the full biography of uther pendrag um no available to us right so i'm not sure how many like small tragedies happened over the course of his life we hear about some of the big ones uh you know his wife getting bisected and uh his assault on this house but like we don't learn about the time that i don't know he had to leave some kid in a pit to go save some other you know group of people or whatever right mm-hmm. so to save a town I, named omelas right i mean at some point in like it this might have been part of what broke him like you you have to let a boromir or two die if it means destroying the one ring and yeah. the closer you come you know the the, the closer you are to Bormir in this case, the more dramatic it is and the harder mm-hmm. it hits. And if this mm-hmm. is, you know, if this is going on for 40 fucking years, yeah, I'd be kind of pissed towards the end of it. I'd be super jaded. Yeah. I'd be jaded after yeah, like the third one, you know, right. You know, yeah, once, think... once is happenstance, twice is coincidence and third is enemy action. It's like, all right, fuck you mm-hmm. DM. You're just, you're going to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, and if I don't yeah. form a relationship with these people, you're going to just like start, I don't know, cutting my wife in half. Fuck you. <laughs> like, jeez. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 yeah, I think that is the darned good point. And yeah, saying that Arthur made those choices seems to give too much agency to Arthur and assuming that he's God rather than he's reacting to what the fucking DM is throwing at him. Yeah, I mean, you know, in theory, maybe just as torture the metaphor, like Aragorn could have thrown away working to save. Uh, yeah, this, the, the metaphor doesn't work because that's not how Fellowship of the Ring ended. But if he could throw away the rest of the mission to save Boromir, like he, he shouldn't, shouldn't do that. Yeah, and it would be hard to choose not to do what you want to do over and over. So, like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I I see what you're saying, though. Um. Anyway, we we move to like Amarilla saying, "All right, go talk to uh the the gnome out there, Finch, and uh, just convince them it's all a big misunderstanding." <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so I like this a lot. The, the the beginning of the interaction is great. So yeah, he gives yeah Clive horse whistler. 
And is horse whistling your occupation? No, I'm between jobs. Um, <laughs> but his whole thing at the beginning with the Nomen Black is to uh, just play dumb. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, no, I, I whistle at horses. That's my job. I don't do anything interesting. You know, sure, I wish my wife was a princess, but no, she's just, you know, redheaded like the princess, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what's delightful about it is the whole time through this is he's just listing every time that, you know, uh, June, every, every Mercy Batman that June managed to pull off is biting him in the butt, um, which is, I guess, why they usually murder hobos and not Batman hobos. Um, <laughs> and conspicuous well, not why they usually murder hobos why they usually are murder hobos right right yes yes okay. murder hyphen hobo not not murder hobos yeah, yeah. um so conspicuously may, may be a clue the random thugs that they crushed uh and demonstrated enormous amounts of power and magic not to mention the use of their names uh they don't come up on finch's radar yet yeah yeah uh, see but, i think i don't think like he really um was being punished for like letting them go or anything because the the things that finch mentions are aren't instances of batmaning it was like they had a brawl in the middle of the street which uh they kind of lost it was and then afterwards they killed prentice and like they found the the leftover blasted um battle site and stuff but it's not like you know his mercy is biting him in the butt here it's just that when you murder powerful people and kidnap you know assets of states it tends to be noticed uh regardless of how you did it yeah i think that he he talks about like there was like a um disabled um tomb that they found i can't remember like unre- i don't know oh yeah maybe, yeah maybe that's that was right. later when that got tossed off the train yeah and then, that's yeah that's right and then the one that uh they found drunk right okay so, so those two did kind of bite him yeah but there was sort of, maybe. Uh, yeah i think maybe i was conflating notes there because i was trying to do like a summary thing here but hmm. um it what was just fun is that it's being laid out in like this really awesome growing tension way where it's just yeah. like you're getting backed further and further into the corner mm-hmm. and hey you know she's really her age is really close to amaryllis pendrag and uh you know hey look at this picture this is the the librarian that helped you uh find those books and saw you fight saw somebody who looks just like you fight larkspur prentice mm-hmm. and I thought for a moment that June put his foot in his mouth when he said, what, you think I killed Larkspur Prentice? And it's like, dude, the official story might not be that he's dead. Like, ah. didn't you kill him like two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, for all we know, like th- that they're still covering it up. But mm-hmm. apparently this is just amazing. The official story is that he was flying helicopters without a submitted and verified flight plan and that he was subsequently attacked and killed by a dragon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what they told the public. Yeah, he... Took his helicopter out, didn't ask the dragons for permission, and they fucked him up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to always ask dragons for permission. Let this be a reminder to all of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was okay. pretty damn cool. Yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. So that is where we're at with... Uh, yeah, uh, so he, like, I thought the whole time he was, he was, you know, pushing him, telling him about all the stuff June said, and, like, they don't ever have any, like, flat out smoking gun but the more he goes into it and like at the very end he's like yeah and then uh this girl uh the nurse um called us from the hospital saying that someone that looks like these two people that are wanted has just come in wearing armor and all that and like at this point it's a really damning case and he still doesn't seem to have any direct physical evidence or anything and maybe june could just keep on denying it and maybe he should just keep on denying it because i have heard you should never ever ever admit to anything um but, like, at this point, I'm thinking, June's going to have to kill this guy. 
like maybe he should wait until the Amaryllis is done delivering Solus because they can't like skedaddle out of the hospital while this is going on. But I get the feeling that that there's going to be some Noman Black murdering getting done, and then they're going to have to skip town, and that's going to make things complicated. Yeah, I got the vibe that this guy was too well connected to kill. I mean, not not physically. You, you know, June could could stab him, but like. The, yeah, well, I mean, that's why I think it would be fucking complicated, because he's just killed the fucking the head of the CIA or a high operative in the CIA or whatever, and that's a big deal, so now you're really fucking running from the law. Yeah, somebody knows where this guy is and who he's talking to. Yep. And so if if he ends up stabbed in that hospital, they're like, oh, okay, we found him, and they're not cooperative, right? So mm-hmm. this was uh, this was a tight spot. Um, it ends fortunately, with, things um, work out, so... It does, yeah. It ends with him saying that, like, uh, Amaryllis Pendrag is part of an ongoing war for the soul of Anglican. Well, not quite ends, but near the end. An ongoing war for the soul of Anglican, one that the Empire is losing badly. And I had no idea what this meant when I read it. Like, do you ha- have any idea what he means here? Yeah, my my thought on it was that Anglican has become just a den of vipers, you know, who are busy conniving and stabbing each other for power and entads. And Amaryllis is the only one in the Pendrag line who seems to want to do anything good for the world right now. Okay. So I, I guess I took it to be like the third empire here is is eating itself apart, except for her. And that's why they threw her out of a fucking airplane. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That could be. I just, I, I generally don't trust government agents that are secretive and wear a lot of black. So when he said one that the empire is losing badly, I'm like... According to who? Like, you? You get to decide who is going to be the next ruler of the Empire? I mean, I'm glad that you seem to think Amaryllis is on you know, the person you want. But on the other hand, uh, you know, whenever someone tells me about a war for a soul of a nation, I, I immediately distrust them. Yeah, especially if they're trying to win you over and get you to admit to something. And it's right? like, oh, well, luckily, I've got the, you know, I've got your your hero right here. Amaryllis is the one in that room, Mr. Officer. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So uh, I wouldn't have fessed up just yet. But um, yeah, this is great. Uh, <laughs> but we end, we actually end with finding out that they sent some agents to go grab Valencia because they found out where she is. And now we get to find out what happened there. Yeah, that's I love it. He says, yeah, I, I like uh, dealing in carrots, not sticks. And he says, but you do have sticks. And he thought it'd be best to present your sticks first. And he's like, yep, uh, we should have your friend right now. And he checks yeah. his pocket watch like a badass. Mm-hmm. And then we get the adventures of Valencia the Red. Hell yes. Which, you so, know, to summarize very briefly the previous chapter, it was really long. It seemed like when I got to Valencia the Red, I thought for some reason I'd read two chapters. Like a lot happens in those. Um, oh, yeah. It was great. And this, the, they, he should I guess he could have called this this chapter like, Valencia the Red and the Unexpected Guest or something, right? Mm-hmm. Just to make it like the format of a Harry Potter book. Oh, okay, I got you. Because she is hopelessly She's obsessed with Harry evil. Potter. Uh-huh. That would have been cool. Yeah. She she's like crazy obsessed with it and is constantly tying things back to it. Like this this nerd I know with Marvel. It's Oh man. It's maddening. Can you believe that guy? Yeah. I I hear he's despised by basically everybody. Wow, that's not what I heard at all. Heard people really kind of <laughs> like having him around. Well, uh, I, I hope I'm a little less obnoxious about it than than Val is with her Harry Potter obsession. I don't think she was even all that obnoxious. Like she thought about it a lot, but she didn't seem to say very much to people. Just... She she gets too out. She asks for a butter beer at the bar. 
That's knowing true. that they don't have it because it's a made-up yeah. drink from a book from another planet. <laughs> and <laughs> then she asks, or then she she tells the guard at the end of the cop guy, it's like, well, who do you want to be? He's like, I want to be Hermione. Or, I want to be Hermione Granger. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Nobody knows who that is. Uh, but other than that, she did great. So yeah, the audience yeah. is fantastic. So uh, Valencia likes hugging, and she's slowly discovering the things that she likes because she's never had anything good in her life before. Um, and hugging is near the top of the list, which like this whole chapter, I mean, I, I, this is the first thing I pulled out, but like this entire chapter made her feel a whole lot like a younger, very sheltered Fen to me. <laughs> and, um, since I already love Fen, like it made me love Valencia a lot too. Cause good times. I, my thought on that, I pulled the same line. I just said, Oh, hugs are tight. Yeah. Um, and that's 50% a punt. So, uh, no, how dare they, you? They can be tight. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but they're also if, tight. If you squeeze too hard, yeah. So, all right, uh, fine. Yeah, ha. Um, yeah. What I liked about speaking of just Valencia's demeanor this whole time is, and this is just great writing too. How seamlessly she goes from like, you know, oh, I, I'd like a butter beer, please, Mister Bartender, to uh, just full on Professor Quirrell in intent to kill mode. Like mm-hmm. it's it, but even like the thinking is just smoothly transitioned it's awesome mm-hmm. so yeah she she's a younger very sheltered fen sure but she's also like a very practiced eager killer and it's delightful i to me it seems like she's only like a practiced eager killer when she's uh eating on a demon or a devil right yeah but oh, that, okay, be- okay. that becomes her personality yes yes yeah. which is badass and, and it, it seeps into her point of view and everything yeah and like she's also um <laughs> she has apparently tendrils that she can reach down into hell with and just track a devil or a demon for later consumption and she's got hundreds of them out there now and it's just she the way she's described she sounds like a lovecraftian elder god for the infernals it's awesome yeah and she only has hundreds because more seemed excessive not like because she couldn't and yeah. so i i'm assuming that she can kind of like pick up on the raw stats of the demon slash devils that she's looking at with these things yeah, so she's like, like oh, I need one with like excellent combat, whatever. She'll grab this one. Um, she and this is actually really important to pull out. She says to Mary, hey, if you die, I'll find you in the hells and then I'll kill all the demons and devils near you. So it won't be as bad, which mm-hmm. like, hey, that's true friendship right there. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of cool when you're low key badass enough to just like say that with a straight face and mean it. <laughs> yeah. If they ever do rampage against hell, she's going to be indispensable. Um I think that it's new information that she can specifically like scry the hells and seek out specific demons. And uh, that seems significant because she can tell us if Arthur's in hell, for example. Absolutely. I think she can she get all the way down. Like, why haven't they asked her to try to find Arthur in hell yet? Or maybe they have. So maybe it's just been such a new power. That, that's another question I had about this, actually. So the Amaryllis chapter had parentheticals where June is filling in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And this one had like a lot of deeply only understandable two vowel things that makes you wonder how June wrote this and how many gaps he's filling in. Um, Unless he's making stuff up. Interviewed her. Yeah. So I'm guessing he interviewed her for this and she described all these powers and he put it together for, you know, a nice chapter rather than just like a interview dump. But Mm -hmm. uh, it could be that they didn't ask her about this, this, you know, Hey, can you scry hell for Arthur for us real quick? Because they didn't know yet. Like only Val knows she can do that right now. Yeah. I get the feeling that the interview must have been not too long after this because, like, 
when you're obsessed with something, the obsession usually doesn't last that long, but she is totally obsessed with Harry Potter and it is <laughs> like it colors every single thing that she does in this chapter. And it's like it's really cool. She she compared uh Amaryllis to Lucius Malfoy with uh with careful words and kept clever plots and stuff. And I you know, having that characterization of Val, it makes her seem more childlike and more innocent and um just it's great characterization to have her constantly referring back to ooh to um Harry Potter. It's like her inexperience shines through since that is the one thing she's experienced. So she's relating everything back to it. And once she starts experiencing more things in the world, she'll have other reference points as well. But until she does, this is what she's sticking with. Yeah. You, you summarized it better than I ever could hope to. Like she, she says, Mary's a lot like Hermione. She's also a lot like Lucius Malfoy, but like all she's doing is tying back like basically everything to the one reference point she has. Mm-hmm. and you're right it's just fun characterization it makes her just seem so like young and naive yeah uh, there's a line down the road where i forget uh oh i'll, I'll save it because it's about kittens so okay um uh, but yeah i mean like she could hardly be more just of like an adorable little innocent thing right so um yep. there was uh there, there's a quick thing i wanted to pull out here because uh she she says that she tried her best to be honest with Mary and June and the others. It was easier without a devil's insights, which has always made lies so attractive. Lies could get you what you wanted. And I just put that it sure is nice that the one party member without a soul can still find a way to fuck her soul up. <laughs> <laughs> and now Bethel's a party member too, but I guess she can always eat that cursed axe if she's looking to fuck her soul up. So That's right. <laughs> Everyone has a way. Hey, if you want to fuck yourself up, there's ways no matter what what hurdles you have to overcome. Right. Don't, don't have a soul. Don't sweat it. Are, you're a house. Well, don't worry. We can fuck you up too. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> the I I I also pulled out uh, that last line. Lies could get you what you wanted. I, I mean, I think that's another example of her her short sightedness and like the influence of the devils because lies can get you what you want, but only in the short term because eventually you just you run out of lies or and they collapse or they something always happens but um like the short term is the only thing that devils think about because they only got a little bit of time in arab before they're shunted back to hell and so they're doing you know everything they can to do as much damage as possible in that short time and val has never existed outside of her little prison inside a prison so i guess you know it's really not surprising that she has such a skewed view and thinking that lies i mean lies are are powerful and they can get you a lot but she doesn't like know about the downsides yet and i have a feeling that's going to be something that's going to hurt her in the near future and going to be like a big character growth moment when she's like oh man this power is double-edged man (laughs) that i mean she seems to have like the the let the moral if not like the intuited lesson of like why you shouldn't lean on the devils too much Mm -hmm. you know like mary's been insisting she's like okay well i trust you mary um so, but she she hasn't realized because it hasn't fucked her over yet. Um, yeah, I was curious, but and then you already explained why you thought that devils were short sighted. Um, but you're right; their their time to interact on Arab is short. So, like, how much mayhem can they cause? Well, they're going to go for maximum mayhem in the next you know ten minutes, rather than like execute a thirty year plot. Because like lying, don't get me wrong, huge uh, opposite of advocate of lying over here. Right, I, but like quarrels. Uh, 20 year deception almost worked right mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that you know those 
kids and that meddling kids yeah and, he would have gotten away with it too and their partial transfiguration yeah he would have gotten away with the whole david monroe thing and um got to have fun rampaging over a planet uh mm-hmm. so it's uh it's nice i guess that the that the lying inclinations of the demons that she's absorbing are probably short-sighted mm-hmm. so that that's helpful of course if she can just like not just channel their inner uh, like the demons in her personalities, but just like really steal their stats, then she might be able to execute some long term lies. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll see. I, I, yeah. I, again, since I completely forgot about her as a character up until last week, I'm really excited to see her back on the, on, on the screen. And, uh, yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to like the next thing they all do as a group. Cause, mm-hmm. you know, Bethel is like overpowered as fuck. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they're all getting kind of crazy strong at this point. Yeah, they are. That's Power levels cool. just keep going up. Yeah. Soon they'll be over 9,000. <laughs> so uh, one of the cool things was that she like grabbed onto a devil for a sec just to read into what Amaryllis was saying and realized that she was talking about herself when she was warning her not to become too cynical. Uh, and she comments, thousands of years of the devil's life had been used up just for that one little hint to, uh, to what Mary was thinking, which was fucking metal as fuck and yeah total elder god what's that chant you have there <laughs> in my notes i have yeah yeah valencia fatagin which is a a chant for that the cultists of cthulhu would uh, i mean i modified it a little bit but close to what they would say in one of their cthulhu i don't know summoning rituals or praising rituals or something delightful yeah. i couldn't i couldn't let it go uncalled out um, okay I what I liked about this too, and I mean, metal as fuck is like the only thing that I, I think I probably put that in my notes like three or four times in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we ever learn that devils turn out to be anything more than just evil incarnate, Bal is a monster unlike anything else we've ever encountered. <laughs> Very true. I mean, if if there's one redeeming thing, if they have a sense of self that isn't just pure evil and cause anguish, I mean, uh, abusing a sentient you know uh, smart house is is doesn't compare one iota to extinguishing thousands of years of life and experience for just like a teeny glance into someone's psychology for for a second right that's a good point so on on that note depending on where they come from and how long they take to make or whatever she could theoretically solve the infestation of devils and demons in hell like it might take some time in the time chamber or whatever but it sounds like a heroic thing that she can do Mm mm-hmm I mean, unless they're just being spat out at the speed of of thought by some bigger eldritch monstrosity, then uh, then you think in a time chamber and hundreds of tentacles, she could just go ripping through all the hells and completely uh, emptying them of demons. Why not? I mean, that's that's a good point. Maybe she would get like a tummy ache or something. I think a tummy <laughs> ache is something to you put breaks. up with. You know. Yeah, I mean, she has to take breaks, but I feel like you know, if it hurts a little, well, that's that's part of what it means to be a hero, right? It, that's a good point it's not heroing if it's easy and it doesn't hurt maybe this is something they'll look into soon because yeah i mean the hells are a problem and one of the reasons june is becoming a god is to get rid of them but maybe they could do a little stopgap measure along the way yeah i i mean if she it's what harry potter would do yeah right maybe well actually his, his, a- his the scope of his ambition is ridiculously small but if harry potter had any ambition that's what he would do yeah he wants to grow up to become a cop but like oh oh you mean the original harry potter yeah the one that she's so infatuated with (laughs) right yeah and i mean i get it you know it's it's not a police officer it's it's specifically a dark wizard hunter whatever but like come on Mm, you're you don't want to do anything cool like chief unspeakable 
I don't know. Anything. Yeah, literally anything yeah. that's not just like a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But no, no, he does not. Anyways, let's move on to better fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, she, when Valencia hugged someone, she gave a little purr like a kitten because she'd only heard about kittens, but she thinks they're awesome and wants to be like one. And she says someday she would like to meet one. And like, just, just that whole thing, like really everything like we've been talking about so far, just highlights how much she is June bait. And it's really cool. She had only heard about kittens. Someday she'd like to meet one. That is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. See? And kittens are Stephen bait. I really hope we get to see her meet her first kitten. Aww. All she has to do Maybe is open, open the Harry book. Potter book in front of yeah. uh, um, Bethel, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, the or first one's a kid's have book. to like blow up to a big house again and then open it inside Bethel. Either way. Yeah. She gets shouldn't be that hard. Mm-hmm. And so June Bait, again, was just like the idea of, oh, look, this is your little damsel in distress. You need to go rescue. And, oh, isn't this just like your perfect attractant sort of thing, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I Just to me, I mean, she's, she's a bit over the top for me, like the mm-hmm. purring and stuff, but... Mm-hmm. If she was six, she'd be the most adorable six-year-old in the in the world, right? <laughs> I suppose so, yes. As a 17-year-old, it's just intensely tragic that she's like a six-year-old because she's had the worst life ever. But that aside, you know, yeah. brushing all that under the rug, it's super adorable. And I'm a it huge is. fan of, of that whole thing. That is, again, she she's only heard about kittens. Someday she'd like to meet one. That is just so cute, so sweet. I, I almost got a cavity just reading it again. Like, I mean, she's basically super stimuli for that sort of thing. She really is. Yeah. Uh, she does say that <laughs> one of the rules of hugging seems to be that you weren't supposed to just keep hugging forever or carry on a full conversation while hugging. And that is cuddling, and it's great, and I can't wait until she discovers cuddling. That said, next time you give somebody like a casual hug... Mm-hmm. Like, keep talking. Like, just, I was going to do this next time, but we, between when I read this and when I, I haven't seen you since, but like, just mm-hmm. to, like, actually just, you know, just have a full sentence of something. Like, it would be so awkward yeah. during a not cuddling hug, right? Yeah. So You'd I get like, like, all right, so you want to go out for some coffee after this or something? <laughs> why are you saying this so close to my ear? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So she, she, Spent some time, like, hanging out in the hotel room, and then, what, ripped through all the Harry Potter books, right? Yes. Uh, the yeah. last four she read through with the devil's help to get through them even faster, which was a mistake, because she says she felt hollow when she was done. She had read through all seven Harry Potter books, and now what was left? Nothing. And I just want to point out that this is another example of how everything you love leaves you in the end. You get through the seven Harry Potter books, and you're left empty again. I just put boo, bad take in response <laughs> to your comment. That and is not the interpretation you... you're supposed to have. I think it is. No, to life, your your interpretation is supposed to be that you've you've realized the the suffering that comes with achieving your desires, right? So I just put in my notes, quick, someone call a Buddhist. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's the suffering that comes from achieving your desires. It's from not having any more of those those stories and friends and stuff that you that you had spent so much time with well but there's more of those to have and i mean so like the buddhist solution but might not, not be with the best harry one. potter uh sure there is she can print off fanfic i guess it's that is 2017 is methods about. of rationality prints already existed right that's true yeah yeah so i mean if she wants to keep digging into harry potter she can now granted you know rolling's done with it that take on it is over but mm-hmm. that's but that's going to happen with everything and this is just like life you know you want something you know, you're you're really waiting for this movie to come out so you can go see it. And then you go see it and you're hyped the whole time. And then you're driving home and you're like, 
that's it. Those last six months of build up and, and the thrill of watching it are done. Like, yeah. so you either feel like the, the loss of, Oh, I've achieved my desire. And now, now I'm empty. Or you just do what people usually do and move on to the next thing you want. Right. Um, yeah, 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 I guess so. So, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I, there's, there's, there's a happy medium to reach there in a way that's healthy, but I just, it's not with see everything you love leaves you in the end. She just read all the book, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm just not going to argue the point. I, I see where you're coming from, but yeah. Uh, you know, finite things of certain word count. Yeah. You're going to eventually finish the words, but see everything is finite and that sucks. Except for the, the grander story of how many books can you read is essentially limitless. So, you know, as long as, as long as it's not just Harry Potter, she'll like whatever next book she picks up too. Well, as soon as she picks up a decent book. Yeah. Yeah. I've read a bunch of books that I think are total trash and not trash in a good way. Just like bad. Yeah. I, she should pick up Twilight next. Um, just to see how it would fuck her up. Hmm. Huh. I, I don't think she should pick up Twilight. I think because, you know. No, I think it'd be terrible for her. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. It'd be fun to see her getting all fucked up. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the worst book. And if you internalize anything in it, you're a worse person for it. But uh, (laughs) it would be fun to watch her be as obsessed with Twilight as she is with Harry Potter just for the sake of seeing how it ruins her life totally yeah then she'd have to read another book with a good protagonist and then she can become a good person again but um yeah. all right she like you said she used demons to rush through the last four books and rushing th- a story to get to the end does take away some portion of the enjoyment um mm-hmm. this is just the case if you're marathoning a show you know by hour 10 you're you're tired and you're not enjoying it as much as you would be if you waited till the next day to start mm-hmm. and it's just this. This just was salient to me because being forced to take this story in bite-sized chunks actually adds lots of fun. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I it's great. So, yeah. yeah. We do hear that devils also have emotions. They were just really, really good at dealing with them, which makes me, you know, wonder if they're so good at managing their emotions. Why don't they stop torturing people? Why do you think that they're torturing people due to mismanagement of emotions? I well, because they could get more. Um, out of existence by not torturing people and cooperating with them instead, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I okay. I certainly hope not, because that would mean that they're psychologically close to us, which would make Val the like the first priority of things we have to kill, because <laughs> she's extinguishing lives that could, in theory, be like fulfilling and good. Okay. Um, I assumed that they they didn't torture people because they were rationally angry. I I did it. I I thought they did it because they liked it and they're monsters. Um, if, if it really is the fact that they, but they, they could understand- learn like true love and kindness and hmm. develop like positive relationships, then, then Val is this horror that is, is plaguing. Yes, she is an elder God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I assume that they can think of humans as people and therefore couldn't they do the thing where I realize that other people are valuable and they shouldn't be tortured. So even if I like it very much, if I can manage my emotions, I won't torture them. I picture devils slash demons as like a more evil Voldemort. Okay. And part of that, again, is just for this, the sanctity of like, do we really have to kill Valencia out of the, out of the, you know, saving the goodness of the world? Um, Cause if they were redeemable, like Voldemort in theory possibly could be, Mm. then she's again she extinguishes thousands of years of experience and 
and life just to like read a little subtext into Mary's expressions or words, right? Well, if they're redeemable, then Valencia should be redeemable too. And she can just like not kill anymore once she realizes they're redeemable. That's true. We'd have to make her stop like totally rampaging through uh, for the smallest games, right? If you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna wipe out a ten thousand year old creature, you better have a damned good reason, right? Yeah. Like I assume unicorns are rare. They didn't like shoot one with a void bomb from a helicopter just for fun. They they killed it because they had a desperate need to. Well, they're also rapey assholes. That's right. They're they're also jerks. I forgot. Yeah. So because uh, every other unicorn isn't a jerk. I loved how mean the unicorn was. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so yeah, she does order the butter beer, like you said. Even though the devil part of her mind was saying not to do that. Uh, and she was making a fool of herself. She decided just to do it because she wanted to do it. And I, again, found that adorable. And I just pulled that out because Val is making a very hard run at the position of my new favorite <laughs> character. Then gotta watch out. She's adorable. And I do like, you know, so when she does that, my first thought was like, come on, facepalm. You know, you need to have a talk with her about <laughs> fiction and reality. But she knew it was stupid. She was just indulging her whimsy, you know? Yeah. So that, that's actually yeah, kind of fun. It's fun. It says that she had very little baseline for what was normal. 12 days ago, she was locked up in a prison. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's only been like two weeks since they, yeah. you know, all this shit went down when they broke, followed her out of prison. And my meta thought for the story was, I kind of wonder how far we're going to get before the main story, like the main quest is over. Like how mm-hmm. many more weeks or months we're going to have. Because mm-hmm. uh, we're not getting 40 years of June at this rate. Like we, like there were 40 years of Uther, right? <laughs> Unless, you know, like the, the fourth to last chapter is like 39 years later. That'd be, that'd be something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyways, she, yeah. she, there, there, we get another demonstration of the devil power with that she uses on the barkeep and like she, she makes him feel appreciated and like she gets an idea with the devil's skill about like how exactly she could manipulate him and get him to do her bidding. Uh, but she clamps down on it and like. I mean, this is a dangerous power, man. This is very tempting. I would love to have this kind of power. And I just had to, God, say that devil powers are awesome. I really want to see a Soch run through at some point. Uh, it kind of makes okay. one glad that this isn't a power that exists that, like, can be gamed this well in real life, right? Like, you know, influence and stuff does exist. But there's no one who can just, like, turn their dials up to 100 when everyone else maxes out at 10. And just be, well, I guess there are super charismatic people. I guess I'm saying is that this sounds like it could go terribly, terribly wrong really, really fast. And it almost certainly would. Just like yeah. like all, all, all of the paths that she sees to like getting people to do what she wants is like, oh, excuse me, Mr. Bartender, squeezing her tits together. Like, I don't have any money. Can I have a free drink? Um, mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's, um, I want to see you maybe use this power for good um, before I, I withdraw that. But I think... Uh, the, the ability to manipulate somebody by laying a path of of steps to get them to do what you want like that that doesn't sound like uh something hermione granger would do <laughs> no but it sounds like so much fun yeah sure if you're not if you're not interested in the people that you're you're manipulating like if you're not interested in their interests rather yeah i guess but hey if you make their interests your interests then you're satisfying their interests there we go yeah it all works all out right. if you just make them want what you want them to want. It does. No ifs, ands, or uh, buts. None at all. Uh, Valencia likes Mountain Dew, and the bartender says, oh, Mountain Dew, that's poetic. Is that what you do? Are you a poet? And I thought that was just the coolest cultural misunderstanding, because I immediately thought of, you know, the soft drink, like like she was saying. 
but like he's never heard of it so he's like oh you want to drink the dew from a mountain in the morning like that was that was really neat yeah he makes her like a fizzy drink that is like sweet or something Mm. and yeah for me i'm just like come on they must have told her not to mention earth stuff to people here right like aren't doubles clever cleverness is one ingredient of, of operational security and so far she's the worst at it she at least fortunately didn't say oh no mountain dew it's a drink from earth oh yeah let me tell you about earth yeah yeah this whole simulation thing again i think she's just indulging herself and it turned out to be harmless I, i'm worried that she's going to drop a bomb at some point that she shouldn't say right yes yeah she finishes her mountain dew and uh hangs out with the bartender but then like kind of nudges him well not nudges but she doesn't do the manipulation path and just like lets him go about his business and then she heads back to her hotel room and attempts to write some crappy fanfic um she tries to write, write good, good fanfic, fanfic. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> she hasn't gotten her first million words out yet so it's going to be crappy because that's what she's trying to do right she's mm-hmm. she's trying to make like okay what if harry potter but my friends and yeah. like Okay, well, you know, what if uh, what if we just did like a continuation, but then like she she couldn't think of it, so like she used devils, and then everyone turned to evil, and mm-hmm. uh, she was trying to think of which house everyone belonged in, so I went ahead and decided for her. Uh, June is Gryffindor, obviously. Grack is Hufflepuff. Fen yeah. is a dropout. Amaryllis is a Slytherin, and Val is, I guess, a Ravenclaw to round out the group. Plus, like the devils mm. feeding her cunning and knowledge. Um, the locust so she- befriends the lake monster, and Bethel tortures house elves in the dungeons. <laughs> I definitely like Locus and Bethel. I don't think Val is is Ravenclaw. Like with, when she has a devil in her, totally Ravenclaw. But like otherwise, I would put her in Hufflepuff as well. Yeah, she needs the Hufflepuff friends. But I was just I because because Amaryllis is the obvious Slytherin. Um, yes, she's also Ravenclaw. But I guess Ravenclaw and Slytherin are sister houses. So yeah, I suppose Grack could be the Slytherin or the uh, the Ravenclaw because he's you know you have to be analytical for his job. That's true. He but is yeah. Ravenclaw-ish, yeah. And Fen is just a... She doesn't go to school. No. Yeah. She's too school, too cool for school. <laughs> Literally too cool for school. Yes. All right. So okay. she gets back so, and then knock, knock. Yep. People yeah. show up at her door. And one of the things... one of the, She grabs a demon and she starts analyzing her situation. And uh, the first question is... Well, not first question. But one of the early questions is flee or fight. Should she jump out the balcony and drop her way down slowly? Or should she murder everyone in the hallway? And then she's like, oh, wait, those aren't my only two choices. <laughs> and I thought that was a good catch on her part and a cool insight into demon psychology that all I think about is, you know, the violent solutions to things. It's like with Harry in his first defense class, right? Yes. Give me 10 clever uses for things in this room. And he gives 10 extremely stupid ideas for things to use in the room to kill people. <laughs> Yep. And yeah. well, how am I how was I supposed to kill somebody with that? It's like I didn't say you had to kill them. And it's like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so we talked about it a bit, just like the the switch between like, oh, I'm a helpless, naive little girl, which is adorable, and I love her, you know, she wants to pet a kitten little self. But then between mm-hmm. that and the like, okay, well, this is what it take to murder the ten people in the hallway and Right. Um she says something it's along the lines awesome. Oh, it's great. And then uh, she says something along the lines of like, you know, she didn't want to kill people. Harry didn't kill people. And my only thing is like, look, I don't want people to kill people either. I like how Val wants to be capital G good like Hermione. But it's in the books. It's worth in the canon Harry Potter books. It's worth knowing that like or noticing that Harry's reluctance towards killing got some of his friends killed. Mm -hmm. You know, 
Amaryllis might occasionally be a little cavalier in her use of deadly force, but at least she's more pragmatic than like, oh, I don't want to kill people. That's true. Yeah. And again, this is coming from an immortalist. I want everyone to live forever. But right, right, yeah. In this circumstance, uh, mm-hmm. she, she, you know, she I'm, also I'm, clearly doesn't think de- devils are people, and I'm hoping that she has some insight into their actual psychology. So, yeah. On the plus side, it seems she doesn't really have to kill people. I mean, she might have to kill people, but she's got a lot of options with the amazing combat skills she has. <laughs> like, awesome. Uh, one of the things she says is that um, she was uh, it was she was good enough to kill at least ten people in close quarters with her ten bullets. <laughs> like, at least one death per bullet is already fucking amazing, and you know that's like her lower bound that just damn wow and we actually get to see it in action so we're like oh yeah okay that wasn't just bluster she she can do this shit she can deadpool her way across this hotel room i i guess was deadpool that good in the opening of uh the first movie he left his big bag of bullets in the on the uh in the cab and so he's got his one gun with one clip and then ah yeah, and the last shot that he has, I think he jumps over a car and shoots through three people's heads because they're all nicely lined up for him. Excellent. Well, I guess he shoots through two and it stops in the skull of the third guy who then pulls it out of his, like, you know, breaks his skin and then he comes at him with a sword. But, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, she also channels a devil to talk to these people. And the guy that says Imperial Affairs, Uniquities Division, uh, it's a command mingled with fear and anticipation uh, it was a man's voice, slightly harsh, almost certainly not the sort of person who they would use for delicate negotiations or diplomacy. And I just thought, you know, like, in those four words, a devil can pull out a lot of information, even just through a door where you can't see someone. It was really cool insight to to how devils work. Yeah. At the time, I was thinking that, oh, you know, the devil's going to interpret everything as like a possibly lethal, lethal situation. Mm-hmm. And so that was my, uh, like, my first thought. But mm-hmm. later she is talking with a guy where the devil's giving her non-lethal advice. So, um, yeah. Anyway, they try to send people in and she like just ducks for the side of the room. And when they, I, I forget the exact order that things happen and they try to send somebody in and she, I think they, they point a gun at her. She shoots at them to stop them. She shoots them like in the hand. Yeah. Like she does the most amazing gun foo shit where she's just like, <laughs> pap, 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 you know, uh, Three bullets go exactly where she wants. Uh, she like snags a grenade out of the air, shoots through the glass door, tosses it out the door, and is back in the room. At one point, she takes her gun, holding it backwards, uh, points it out the door, and using a, uh, a broken mirror for reflection, um, <laughs> shooting the gun backwards, aiming with a mirror, manages to just clip the edge of a warder's monocle uh, and destroy it without killing the warder. Like, it was crazy insane, this whole fight scene. I loved it. Yeah, that's that was wild. Um, mm-hmm. So she she is that good. And mm-hmm. kind of makes sense to why they send in regular people in the first place. I guess because most people aren't that badass that they're trying to put down. But if you have a still mage, send them in first. Like, why do you wait for people to get shot before you send in Superman if he's already standing there? So, uh, well, there's lots of things still may just can't do, like uh, gas. Um, I'm assuming gas weaponry would work on them. Void weaponry would work on them. There's a lot of things you may want, maybe don't want to send in the still mage right away. That's true. And I guess my thought on the void weaponry was it would have been cool if they'd left her with one, like a void yeah. pistol, because mm-hmm. that's the thing. You know, guns on Earth are like the great equalizer, right? If you're a 90-pound, mm-hmm. frail little girl like Val, 
and some 200 pound psychopath kicks the door in and wants to, you know, attack you in your hotel room. Well, you can shoot him. Um, yeah. it, it works great. If a still mage kicks your door and your, your gun is useless, unless you have a void pistol, it doesn't matter yeah. if it's fucking Superman in the form of a gold mage, just one popped at the dome and you're, you're safe. Um, mm-hmm. so, but still mages do, uh, get to ignore bullets. And, uh, she's like, you know, I really don't want to hurt you as she moves back through the room. And he's like, that's not what's happening here. I'm taking you with me. <laughs> he, mm. he, he doesn't get what she's, what she's angling towards until he falls through a, uh, like a lethal blood ward or something. And it yes. like vaporizes his arm and part of his leg. And she pushes yeah. him back through so he doesn't die. And I for, you know, I didn't forget, but I didn't know how lethally warded this room was. Mm-hmm. But that is the well, kind of I prep think- shit that puts Grack and Ravenclaw now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, we weren't told like how lethally it was warded um, originally, just that Grack put up wards and like finding out that they had a blood annihilation ward in one of the rooms was was a big, you know, that was revealed here. Right. But but we knew that lethal wards like that existed already. Yes. And yeah. we knew that she was ward proof. So, mm-hmm. it, I mean, that's the kind of thing I would have done. Be like, hey, if you want, like, if someone's in here to kill you, go into the bathroom. If they try to follow you into the bathroom, they'll melt. Like, yeah, you know. That that just sounds like good security, but it, it ruins this guy. I hope that well, no, I guess yeah. Growing back limbs is next to impossible, so that guy's fucked. Um, it didn't, you know, did they necessarily destroy his limbs though? I thought it like full on vaporized them. No, no, it it destroyed all the blood in them, which caused a vacuum inside all his veins, and so like they collapsed on themselves. Which I don't know how bad that is. Um, sounds lethal as hell. I mean, he instantly passed out, and they had to like drag him out on a stretcher. But uh, I, maybe, maybe he'll be okay with enough PT. I, I, I don't know. I mean, so, we'll find out. Yeah, if if you can just put blood in somebody for healing, um, and then heal them, this does sound like the kind of thing that might be fully recoverable. So, yeah, because yeah, at some point through this, he's like waking up, which blows my mind that he didn't have like an embolism or something. But, um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they send in the, the coolest hostage negotiator hostage negotiator I've ever seen. Yeah. I love this guy. George. High five. George. Yeah. He says, um, when when like they're discussing things, uh the negotiations, she says uh that she's gonna shoot him in the head, uh if if they do if I forget what exactly it was. Um, but then like she backtracks immediately and she says, I wouldn't actually shoot you in the head. I would shoot to wound or distract and hope that you were okay. Which like at first, I thought, oh, that's that's another Val moment. That's really cute. But in parentheses, it says that this too was said with a devil's practice for intonation and phrasing, the better to portray her as a competent but troubled young girl, uh, which was really neat because like she even she even with the devil's insight first said, I'll shoot you in the head and then backtracked because she knew the effect it would have. Uh, which I didn't realize at the time until she said it afterwards. And I was like, devils, man, they, they were the bomb diggity. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right. This is a, a social build. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think it's probably a dump stat. If you just drop a couple of points in there, but you drop 10 and you're suddenly analyzing everything like this. It, it's a superpower for sure. Yeah. Uh, he does mention that they, or is this, Yes, this is the uh, this is George still. Uh, George does say that he has two witnesses uh, from from the shenanigans that happened recently, but one is exhausted and the other a bit addled. Which I didn't catch this in my first read through. Like this popped out at me. I was like, a bit addled. That sounds like Crazy Jim and his bird wife. <laughs> crazy is, Jim. Is that who they got? 
I I like that read on it. I got the impression Crazy Jim was definitely dead. Um, I thought that the inebriated uh, tune guard from the train might have been one of the witnesses. Uh, oh, okay. and I'm not sure what what he exactly is saying. Witness to like was it going into the pit or just like of what's going on here? But um, they hijacked the ship, piloted it towards a dangerous fortress, and from that point, it's not clear. We have two witnesses, but one is exhausted and the other a bit addled. So totally sounds like the two of them, right? It could be one. It might be a survivor from the you know the attack on the ship. You know, someone who got close enough to fight them but didn't get killed when they when the, the tune flew away, but. Yeah, a bit addled's not like he didn't say shell shocked or combat fatigued or whatever, right? The exhausted mm-hmm. one could be the bird wife, you know, she just had to fly her way out of that that hole. Um Yeah. Yeah, a bit addled. I don't know how the fuck he could have lived, but maybe they found him. Me neither. And honestly, I kind of would like it better if he didn't live because it it made the whole, you know, you're killing people, good people to get to get to this house um thing more poignant that like yeah, they killed crazy Jim. And that sucks. They didn't have to. But, you know, then they didn't. So I guess good on them. Like, I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> Remember when they break into the gold mage's tower and Grack throws his axe in that woman's face and yes. it just happened to be like the warder for uh, Amon? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that, right? Like, oh, yeah, you killed Crazy Jim. But, oh, no, actually, he he found an alcove on the cave wall to cling to until he was recovered by the cops. Yeah. Um, exactly. I hope he's alive just because I hope he's not dead. But uh, right. I see what you're saying about it being less satisfying. Yeah. Um, so she, he's like, all right, look, why can't you surrender? Like, what the fuck's going on? Why'd you shoot our warder? And she's like, okay, look, I present as non-anima. I have a condition. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he's like, sure. Uh, it, that sounds <laughs> like something a non-anima would say. And <laughs> right. she's like, look, can you, can you get an infernoscope? I can prove that I, I can prove what I'm saying. And he's just like, yeah, sure. I don't think that's a problem. And I think he calls out to the hallway to request one. And I assumed that they were like telescopes, like accessible, but like big and not quick to acquire and not the kind of thing you can quickly get to a hotel room. Like I pictured like observatory style devices. I did too. I guess maybe if you have big telescopes and observatories, you could get a smaller man portable one. Yeah, I really can't wait to get a look like- at one of these things. Yeah, they might be able to like go to the local university or high school or something and commandeer what they got there and bring it to the hospital. Or no, bring it to this hotel room. I mean, I figured... Or hotel like, room, rather. Yeah, not hospital. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm just saying, like, but during during the... I mean, how quickly could you get me a telescope? Or I guess you're not a well-connected police officer, but like... Exactly. If I was holding a bank hostage and I was like, get me a, a telescope, they'd be like, okay, give us, I don't know, a fucking hour? Where am I going to find a telescope? Like, Yeah, yeah. I could see it taking an hour, maybe two. But I figured that they would have to do it during the during the course of this uh, negotiation. So maybe they do just I, hang out and talk for two hours. Yeah, that's the impression I got. Oh, see, I figured like they were going to run out and like just run to the convenience store and the hotel or like the gas station across the street. And, you know, here, got you your... <laughs> Find a vending machine. <laughs> yeah, your gas station and printoscope. Um, <laughs> there was a, a line here where um, it says, Mary had said the same thing. Had said something to the same effect as George that we shouldn't believe or displease things just on the basis of how they make us feel, mm. and this is the the subtle uh, you know rat fic stuff here, right? Yeah. Uh, Harry would have drawn out an important like long, not long winded, but uh, longly expressed lesson about that. In fact, he does when Draco mm. discovers uh, that blood purity isn't the 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 magic problem, right? Yeah, um, that's true. So. 
I just, first of all, Mary gets a base point and it was mm-hmm. another example of like dropping rationality into the story, but not, uh, not making it a long point, mm-hmm. which I, I, I think there's probably a heavy medium between like methods of rationality length and this length. Yeah. It would have been nice to have just a little more on it. Yeah. I mean, cause there's tons of like little things like, you know, little nods to rationalist techniques, but they really don't belabor them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, Oh, Okay. Two quick more pullouts, then I think we're basically done at the chapter. So uh he asks, like, if there was a demon here on Arab, could you kill it? And she <laughs> says, I I don't know. Um and she like, I don't know, moves her tendrils away and like I guess she moves it next to her. Um mm-hmm. so she's like has full awareness of these things all the time. And she says, I don't know, probably. And I think that she hasn't tested since she got the Dementor perk at loyalty twenty, but I think she can soul eat whoever she wants damn maybe it's yeah, more work I, to rip apart a human than it is to rip apart a, a demon in hell but right I, I think that she shoved that uh tendril right into george she could just eat him jesus it's a good yeah. thing she's cool yeah it sure is nice that she's nice uh if she has a bad day uh we'll have to put her down like a rabbit dog because she could do a yeah. lot of damage yeah yeah all right do Especially you think this was hundreds of tendrils at her command yeah, she could just drive out a city. Maybe she could clear out the Doris problem for us. Oh. I wonder if they I all share the a soul. Doris's share soul. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. That would be a very quick problem. Mm-hmm. The DM would probably be pissed that it was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, I'm giving you one experience point for that. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, okay, so I thought this was funny. Uh, George is saying that demons on Arab are rare, but when one breaches, it's a hell of a time. Yeah. That, that's I funny. see your note now. I don't... I. Okay, so your note says that was an excellent pun, and I honestly did not even realize, maybe it wasn't a pun, like maybe it wasn't intended as a joke, it's just, it makes sense, it's always a hell of a time, right? Yeah. Okay, that's I, I, it's too, alright, that's, now that I say it out loud like that, I guess it had to have been a joke, and I just didn't see it. It doesn't have to be, like, it is the sort of thing where it's like, if you're trying to find ways to describe, like, it sucks, and your yeah. thoughts are already on the subject of hell like yeah. you know a hell of a time is a phrase but i thought it was a, a kind of a little punny thing so um, i would agree with you it is definitely a little punny and a little funny i wouldn't go that far uh one day i almost had you one day uh, you almost walked right into that one i almost but so she, she's negotiated her position here by saying look i i can kill demons and he's mm-hmm. like okay well if that's what you're saying you can do and you can demonstrate it then yeah we can we can protect you and, you know, that's the, if you can be a weapon against demon kind. And she says, I don't want to be a weapon. Yeah. And he asks what she does want to be. And this is where she says she wants to be Hermione Granger. <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah. I, um, I feel better uh, having talked about through this chapter with you, like towards her constant earth dropping stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, reading through it, it was just like, not like annoying or, you know, she's a dumb character. She's just naive as all hell. But I yeah. think it's, you know, A, this right now is a stressful t- situation. And earlier, she's just indulging herself against the better advisement, quote unquote, of the demons. So, mm-hmm. but, but I, I was just waiting because the, the chapter ends with him like, huh, okay, who's that? And yeah, I wanted I mean, I her to she... be like, oh, it's the character from the real Harold Plotter books from Earth where my friend June is from. And by the way, so is Uther Pendrag. Oh, my God. Well, I he guess. does walk. He does walk up with the Harry Potter book in the hospital. 
I was not expecting that. I thought she was going to say, like, it's a character from a book series I really like or something. But, like, he walks up with an Earth copy. And I'm like, oh, my God. What happened? This is bad. It's not the end of the world. You might be able to explain your way out of it. But, like, this is the Department of Mysteries. They're not going to just be like, oh, okay, it's a weird book. No problem. Here you go. Yeah, right. Yeah. But we're talking about the next chapter. So let's get into the next chapter. Yeah, we're not quite to the point where that guy is the book yet. So. Mm-hmm. Um, this now we could, this was like, you know, when we last left June, uh, Finch pulls out his pocket watch and said, like, well, they should have your, your associate now. And then we got that whole chapter and where she kind of had them really. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they, yeah, I mean, she could have killed every single one of them if she really wanted to. Oh, totally. Yeah. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, and so the, the he learns, um, Finch learns a little bit about, not learns a little bit, he learns that the group calls themselves the Council of Arches. And he sees, you know, like, they've been bouncing all around the plane across various nations and fucking up, you know, kidnapping, kidnapping important state assets, killing uh, government officials. And he's like, holy shit, you're telling me you belong to a major international organization that I've never heard of, which when you say it that way, it sounds badass. Like you're tracking this criminal group and they they refer to themselves as the council of arches. And you're like, Oh, I just stepped into something bigger than I had thought of. Yeah, this is great. You know, up until this point, he might've thought that like, Okay, so there's there's some people helping Amaryllis Pendrag plus or minus her like bodyguard or whatever across mm-hmm. the planet or plane. And now he's like, oh wait, this is some like major shadow organization that I, you know, one of the chief unspeakables of the Department of Mysteries has never heard of. Like, right. So the the exactly that sounds crazy badass, and June just rides that badassery like through the rest of these chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't think that the um the uniquities i that is hard to say i'm gonna say men and women in black um (laughs) i don't think until maybe they become more important and i have to learn their name but uh the whatever the cops um Mm. i don't think that they leave this these interactions with the impression that the council of arches is just these like five people yeah yeah it sounds like almost you know they they're referring just to the five of them but like to him it sounds like someone just said oh man the illuminati council isn't gonna like this right exactly you know like if harry had got a chance to invite somebody else to the bayesian conspiracy at hogwarts and it's <laughs> yeah. like yeah it's our secret shadow organization we do science and stuff and it's like oh count me in and you get there and it's just him and draco and it's like <laughs> right. i thought this was like a big thing <laughs> mm-hmm. um so and June was like, "It's hey, I didn't get to pick the name." And he's like, "That's not what I was objecting to." But mm-hmm. uh, I, what did Ben call it when they're beating up those those poor muggers, like Blue Crew or something? I don't remember something like that. I think so. And then I, I just had a moment of gratefulness, of gratitude that they didn't stick with that name because then we'd have to, we'd have had to call this show Blues Clues, and that wouldn't have been good for anybody. Luckily, that didn't happen. So um, yes. Finch, he's summarizing. It's like, okay, you realize that your Council of Arches is, is responsible for more than a hundred in a uh, hundred deaths in the last month that I know of, right? Including yeah. a major international incident less than twenty four hours ago, and a different one twenty four hours before that. You know, this is as nice as I'm willing to play, which is pretty fucking nice, all things considered. And mm-hmm. it just kind of brings to mind, like, first of all, that our band of murder hobos has been up to a lot, and Arab is big, 
really big, but someone's noticed the piles of dead bodies they keep leaving behind. And I just loved, and it was more like in the first interaction, but some in this one too, where he's like putting together all of the little clues that they've been following this whole time. Right. Yeah. And when you like, when you're reading along with the story, like, you know, it's just a 17 year old kid who's got a game thing going on. And so it doesn't feel like that big a deal to you. You're like, Oh yeah, we're stumbling from one mishap to another. And, and this just keeps happening and reacting to it. But like when he puts it all together from the outside view like that, it really looks like some major conspiracy going on. And you're like, Holy shit. These guys have actually done quite a bit here on this planet. That's gotta be what it's like being an NPC when mm. the dragonborn comes walking through white run, you know? Yeah. And it's like, Holy shit. That guy just, I watched him just eat a dragon's soul and he took out those vampires. Like they were nothing. And I'm just, I'm just trying to sell fruit. Like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, these guys though. I like just the whole, again, secret arm of the government kind of thing. Um, mm. They use like tape recorders instead of, well, they use uh, like, uh, record recorders yeah. instead of tape recorders and uh finch looks at it and he picks it up and then snaps it in half and it uh and then Fet june is like fickle things always breaking and finch just nods and i'm just i love their their understanding of each other here mm-hmm. and what what they conclude after their little conversation here was like you know we want to help get uh emerilis on the throne and it's like well okay that doesn't sound so bad like you know do you, yeah. you guys, this the secret shadow organization of the government seem to have found us, but you're on our side, which probably means that you're not operating within your official capacity of your arm of the government. Right. Yeah. They've gone rogue. They're it's like awesome. the CIA going rogue, man. Yeah. Uh, when they do leave, June says that you better pray that things turned out okay in Headwater because, yeah, if, if Valencia's dead, that's going to be, I think they're not going to be able to be friends after that. For now, when June is just like, you better hope things turned out in there. And it's like, you know who you're talking to, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, the, I'm a man in black. But to to that, to Finch, June is an unknown kick-ass dude who's left a trail of bodies and mysteries behind him. And June mm-hmm. is just playing that up so he can make demands of this guy. It's awesome. It is. So he goes back to Amaryllis and uh, they, they're talking about what, you know, what the conversation was about. June's like, they want a partnership. And uh, Amaryllis is like giving birth, closing her eyes, grunting. And uh, after, after doing her push thing, she's like, what kind of partnership? And like, she's such a fucking badass. She's leading the party in strategic stuff while she's giving birth. Like she's a fucking boss. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, she, she's, she's not going to stop being kick-ass just because she's, you know, happens to be pushing out a baby. Right. <laughs> right. Um, it, I mean, speaking of unflappable, the doctor is just like, it's extremely unlikely that you're going to die. And June thinks, I aspired to someday be as cool under pressure as he was. He was barely batting an eye at all the weird shit. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can't remember if she used the word druid or she just said like, you know, arcane magic or something. She just but, said uh, unknowable magics or magics okay. we don't understand. Okay. So she didn't say druid. I guess I forgot. But no. either way, like, hey, I've got this magically incarnated baby and uh, it's not my species and you know i'm just trying to deliver it safely he's like okay let me grab a nurse like he he, either he's seen some shit or he's just like just unflappable i get the feeling that doctors in in arab see some crazy shit and just kind of gotta get used to it that's a good point a lot a lot of weird elements coming through these hospitals yeah 
so she gives birth and uh, i don't want to go into the whole birth scene because it's you know really cool but it was cool and uh there's not too much to talk about aside from you know good birth scene i kind of forget the specifics other than like you get a tiny little baby solace and she's live it worked out um yeah so that was cool uh mm-hmm. i think um oh right i just put that uh if this goes sideways and Solace dies, you know, after like things look like they're going to be okay, because it's not too late for things to turn to shit, right? Yeah. Um, I I anticipated that Emerilis will fuck up her soul by trying to fix the emotional onslaught that would follow from that. Yeah. And by fuck up, I mean actually screw something up that becomes a problem, not just like soul masturbate herself into feeling better. Yeah. If yep. If it goes that way, then I would assume it would become a major plot point that would involve things like Emerilis fucking her soul. Yeah. But it didn't. It did. So far, so good. I'm I'm stoked on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as once the baby comes out and everyone's like ooing and aahing over it, uh, Fen tells June that uh, she'd give him a baby if he ever really wanted one. And like, I don't know. We, I get the feeling that she doesn't actually want one. I'm not sure. Like, maybe, maybe she's like coming around to it. But I, I'm. I hear what you're saying. Maybe she's like hoping, you know, I'm just putting this out there because I kind of want a baby and I'm hoping that you do too, June. But like, on the other hand, I, it sort of feels to me like she doesn't actually want one and is just like throwing this to June because she's willing to do that to hold on to him or something, which is kind of sucks. Yeah. See that that's, I think both readings are equally plausible right now. And so on the one hand, I feel bad for her because you know, she's had a hard life and she's overcoming hard stuff on the other hand. So the, the other quote that again, kind of supports both things. Um, she says, I'm just saying if it ever did come to that, where you thought a baby with me would make you more happy than not, I'd lay off the herbs and we'd see how it came of it. She shrugged. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately for obvious reasons. And that's my decision. I wouldn't do it on my own, but if it were you, I wouldn't be averse. Yeah, and I'm so like, maybe. yeah, I, Go ahead, I, and then I'll give you my thought. Yeah, so maybe, I don't know, maybe I was reading that wrong, and she is just kind of like, you know, with June, maybe it could be a thing. Maybe it would work out all right, and we can give it a shot, and maybe I can have the thing that I wasn't able to have with Nellen. Yeah, see, that's that's why I, I can't tell from this. And either it's just like the super-duper insecure fan who's willing to do whatever she thinks her boyfriend would ever want her to do at her, at her you know, even at her own expense, or maybe she secretly sort of wants a kid, but can't admit it out loud because it feels scary and kind of feels like betraying her son, right? See, I would I would never, ever, ever think that Fen is the kind of person who's like super insecure and willing to do whatever her boyfriend wants just as long as he won't leave her own nose, except for, you know, that part in the last chapter, in, well, not last chapter, but in letter 15, when she's like, I'm worried that maybe instead of leaving you, I would just, you know, beg you to stay with me and keep both of us and just be miserable even though I don't want to share you with Amaryllis. And like, I don't, I don't think she would do that either. But the fact that she put it out there and she was scared of it, like kind of, it worries me that maybe she might, but I don't know. Maybe you have to have those own worries about yourself to help reaffirm who you really are. Like the reason I like Finn is because I don't think she's the kind of person who would put up with that sort of shit and who would just have the baby because June would, you know? That is my initial read on Finn. Like that's the kind of person she is, but that combined with the thing of like, well, I suppose if you wanted to sleep with Amaryllis, even though I'd hate that, I, I would change myself at the soul level to be okay with it, just to make you happy and make you stay with me. Like, if that's Wait, the, she didn't ever say that. Yeah, she did. We talked about it in everything. She said that I would hate it and be unhappy. I would I would hate it, but I'd change myself so that I wouldn't hate it. 
No, hold on a second. Let's get back here to letter 15. Um, We actually did talk about it last episode. Oh, I know we talked about it, but um, it was a thing that we speculated about. She never actually said that. No, here we go. Uh, She says, I said to myself, self, if that happens, then you just leave, take your share of the loot, and hop on the first train you can and never look back. And there was another part of me that says, nope, not going to do that. If it happens, then I get on my knees, beg and pray that you still love me anyhow. And if I have to share, then I'll just swallow my pride and be really, really unhappy about it. So, yeah, I mean, we were speculating. You asked me, like, should she change her soul or something if she does stay? And we talked about it a bit, but she never, ever said that she would change her soul. She just said that I want to think that I would just leave, but I'm scared. There's a part of me that's a, that would stay anyway and just be sad. Okay, yeah, thank you. I had that idea in my head so much that I put it in the book. So, yeah, yeah, good catch there. So she didn't say she would do that. Um, Regarding this, though, she did say that, yeah, I'll swallow my pride, just be really, really unhappy. Um, I'm wondering, like, if that's the kind of person she's turning into, like, I'm super insecure and I'll do absolutely anything to keep you in love with me. If that's, I hope not. If that's, and if, if she's having that same kind of thought about, like, having a kid with him, then I'm finding her annoying. Um, right. Well, I mean, that's that's what I loved about Fen, that she, like, wouldn't do that kind of stuff. Fen was just Fen, and if you didn't like it, you could go screw, you know? And if she does become, like, this sort of, I'll do anything for you kind of person, that would suck. But I don't think she will, because, you know, Fen's a badass. She can have her moments of insecurity and and worrying that she'll become that kind of person. And she can even, I guess, admit them in a letter to June because she trusts him enough now that she feels okay saying them. But I don't think she would actually turn into that person. Yeah, I hope not. Because, you know, characters should grow stronger and more self-actualized and secure as the story goes on, right? Yeah. And so if, if, if she is going the other way, like, that's just, that's a bummer. And she's character shrinking rather than character growing. And, right. Well, I mean, I mean like, there could be, depending on, I mean, it could be a whole long arc where she starts out as cocky and uh, and headstrong, but that's like a cover for insecurity. And then that insecurity gets exposed. And then she grows from that where, you know, it might look to the outside like she's shrinking, but instead she's working through stuff. But, you know. Totally. No, no. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so no one can run with like the fully negative interpretation. I mean, we're also seeing her presumably be like in love for the first time since she had her kid 15 years ago. Right. So yeah, like if, if it's coming with a bunch of scary thoughts and stuff with her and she's vocalizing them, that's huge growth. This is the Mm -hmm. same Fen who would be like, ha feelings, look tits, you know, like, (laughs) so she, the fact that she's talking about and facing feelings is huge. Yeah. So that, that's, that's major growth. And, uh, maybe that's just, you know, because she's in love and not just like horny, right? Or mm-hmm. th- this isn't a fling anymore. This is like, you know, true love and that, that involves all these scary feelings. So, yeah. um, you know, big props to that. Yeah. Anyway, I think they, they, they table the baby discussion because they both know how that would go, I think, per narrative mandate. But if they're giving the middle finger to narrative, they should just do whatever they want. So that's it. They're, well, I was going to say they're children, but uh, they're he's young and they're on a mission that, you know, raising a small baby would kind of distract from. So, Oh yeah, definitely. Baby stuff's on hold. Maybe after he becomes God, they can have the babies. Yeah. Um, Or has given up on becoming God. One or the other. Well, I mean, I'm just, 
either way, you could, I guess maybe if you gave up becoming God and you're like, all right, let's go retire to the mountains. Then you start a family and, you know, raise goats or whatever. But if you're like, oh, all right, great. I'm DM level God. Uh, do I want to have sex with this, this character in one of my worlds to impregnate? Yeah, sure. All right. Like, it seems like <laughs> when you're God, it's hard to relate to people. I, yeah, I would assume so. Maybe when you're a God, you can make it so it's easier to relate to people, though, because you're God. <laughs> mm, that's thinking outside the box, right, with all your God powers. Darn tootin'. It'd be like, uh, I forget her name. The one who was with Dr. Manhattan. Being romantically romantically entangled with Dr. Manhattan would just be kind of annoying. I, yeah. I, I bet he's awesome in bed, but, like, this is the guy who isn't, he can never be in the moment with you watching a movie because he's constantly experiencing his entire life. <laughs> right. <laughs> Back to the story, Val shows up with the Men in Black. Yay! She's alive. She's not in handcuffs. I mean, things are going good, other than the fact that the guy's got the book. So mm-hmm. so they come back with the Men in Black, but also Alcida, who uh, is the leader of the Men in Black and was one of Uther's knights. Except it's not the same Alcida uh, that was one of Uther's knights. It's her great-granddaughter. I thought that was interesting. June says it wouldn't have surprised me in the slightest to see one of Uther's knights thrust back onto the field of play. And I get the feeling that's some foreshadowing, that maybe we are going to see one of Uther's knights somehow, and that they're going to help him find Uther or something. It'd be fun if it was Raven, because she still seemed like a child at age 200-something. I think that it said that she went missing at some point, too, though. But this is fun because, uh, what was it, Alcida? Alcida? Um, something, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. She was, uh, her grandmother was one of Uther's knights, which puts them like closer to Uther than any of the other like centuries of bloated and obscured legends, right? Yes. Um, I guess Solace knew people who knew people who knew Earth, who knew Uther, which is close. But I mean, if, if Alcida or Alkida ever hung out with her granddaughter, her grandmother, she has secondhand stories from the round table. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And being granddaughter of a knight might qualify as a princess. So maybe she'll be a companion. Oh man. I I don't think you have to be a princess to be a companion. Like I, I don't think Bethel counts. I I honestly don't think Valencia and Fen count either, despite the technicality of the elf thing. Yeah, I'm on, I'm wondering if like it's it seems to be a running joke though, and the DM might want to commit to that. Uh, the fact that Grack is also a princess is just like okay. <laughs> it it seems like every party member is uh, has to be, but the locust we really have to squint for the house. Yeah, it seems like maybe the princess thing is falling through. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, she, she, if she sticks around in the story, she might join his party, which would be pretty incredible. Uh, be some fun echo of the Uther party, you know? Yeah. And who knows? Maybe Uther did grant lands or nations to all his knights and maybe she is technically a princess or something. Yeah, but you're right. When Bethel became, uh, an official companion, it kind of blew a hole in the whole, like, you have to be a princess. Um, right you still do have to be possible, the house but <laughs> yeah i i mean i want to disagree but i guess i can't disagree not yet anyway unless they get one yep. that's just like fully a ghost then <laughs> <laughs> or if ropey right, were so, a companion oh you could still probably fuck ropey let's not talk about fucking ropey though yeah first of all we can't because he's too young and pure and yeah second of all rope burn and so Ooh. yeah okay uh, so the head of iniquities uh, does reveal that uh, they had been planning on recruiting an Amaryllis Pendrag before she was ousted, which I thought was cool. The plot is thickening here. 
Um, and Amarilla steps out of the hospital room, looking like she spent the last week training to run a marathon instead of just like giving birth. <laughs> and uh, she was on the starting line, ready to run. At which point, I immediately thought, "Oh, she must have jumped into the t- time chamber to get some rest." Yeah, I my first thought was like, "Oh, it's a Bethel hologram," but then she starts talking with Amaryllis or with the um, with the head of the Uniquities, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, never mind." Amaryllis wouldn't trust Bethel to like actually go do diplomacy for her and then yeah so it, it i i also guessed the time chamber and it turns out she spent a couple weeks resting which is awesome because yeah. i mean just what an air of, of badass this is she comes out wearing full plate armor and right. got her sword on her hip and she's just you know yeah i just had a baby an hour ago but what of it let's let's talk right. yeah <laughs> i mean her hair is probably done well like mm, she know, put on makeup yeah fully composed it's great mm. Uh, so, uh, she finds out that Uniquities is trying to install her as, uh, the head of the, um, of Anglican. I was about to say the Empire, but the Empire is composed of a lot of nations. Anyways, uh, she finds it out and she's like, holy shit, a lot of nations would consider that proof that the Imperial experiment was a total failure and people would move to dissolve the Empire. A lot of nations would pull out, like, this is, like, the, the CIA had gone rogue or something, except... I don't know, a lot worse because the states are still pretty tightly stitched together. And I don't think the CIA going rogue would pull apart the states. It like it feels like this would be the equivalent of NATO dissolving, maybe. And um, I don't know, that would be very, very bad times for the whole planet. I think Iniquities is playing with fire here. Yeah, I mean, it's desperate times on Arab, right? The, mm-hmm. the planet is dying. Their population is, is dropping over the last centuries and, mm-hmm. you know exclusion zones left and right i think that yeah i mean granted they could make things a lot worse but i get why people are making serious moves yeah but what's fun is like i think that their like official capacity is like okay look we need an inter empire inter empire uh organization that doesn't need to file a bunch of paperwork to get shit done because some shit happens fast yeah and so that's your guys's job and that means you know if they have oversight it's probably not that good and yeah. they their 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 whole thing here is like yeah uh, our job is to respond to weird confusing things like the like the pile of bodies you guys keep leaving all over the all over the plane but uh we we are more ambitious than that mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool it is and they are offering um their help too they they point out that you hijacked they hijacked the down and out because they needed a way down in a hurry and if they'd been working with the iniquities they could have borrowed one of a half dozen methods they have without need for an international incident so i'm i'm kind of warming up to this this alliance idea i think like these guys could be useful yeah i'm totally in favor of teaming up with the men in black i mean if there's a uh, you know if there's a falling out later then whatever they <laughs> They can murder their way to a solution if that if that becomes the case. <laughs> but uh, for now, I think Amaryllis puts it nicely too. It's only pragmatic up until the point until it blows up. It's pragmatic only until the point it blows up in your face. And yeah. um, I like that. But uh, they, um, yeah, it sounds good. They, they're they well connected, right? Getting into mm-hmm. the pit is supposed to be hard. They've got half a dozen ways. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just one of the things that they, they've got the ability to do. And so what yeah. else? They they can probably do anything. Oh, you guys want to use uh, the teleportation keystones uh, without getting accosted? Sure. Come with us. We, we, we got five ways to do that. You know? Yeah. Having a shadowy government time. agency on your side is never a bad idea. 
you want to negotiate with dragons? We've got two dragon liaisons, you know? <laughs> right, uh, exactly. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And they want to uh, strike a deal with the entire Council of Arches. They're going to be so disappointed when they realize that this is the Council of Arches. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they can just say, we rep- we fully represent the Council of Arches. It's not technically lying. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yes, the, the, the six of us fully represent the Council of Arches. Uh, yep, whatever we say, that that is 100% approved by them. That's right. We've been fully vested with the power of the council. <laughs> we we were the were the elected leaders of the group. <laughs> yeah. Um so with that they break off to have like their own meeting and mm-hmm. uh they say, you know, you have us warded, you guys can wait outside and um they go in and they're going to talk and then Amaryllis like hold on a second and shows up a finger and then has Grack draw some silencing silencing wards or whatever and she says, I hereby call to order the first meeting of the Council of Arches. Nice. Fen, oh shit. Or, oh man, did shit just get real? And mm-hmm. I I like that she makes it all formal. And it, my my just joking comment there was like, hey, who's taking meeting minutes? Uh, yep. Bethel, I think you're probably best at it because you've got this crazy good memory and you can recreate it in play form. Um, yeah. But she can't be in charge of minutes because she's going to be court jester, which I pulled out. Um, yeah, I still think that should be Fen's role. Uh, we'll see. It's funny, but okay. I, I, I think Ben would be good at it, assuming that this group needs a jester, but yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, I think Amarillo says why she makes it so formal later, but I can't remember why. Um, but they ask about solace and I liked this. Uh, it says spiritually, she's becoming more cohesive every day, including in ways that don't seem to pre- seem to be predicated on what she's taking in from being in the world. And Oh, maybe this is my, nah, this wasn't that hard of a guess to make though. Last week I had said that she's going to develop in like in some random bullshit way until she's fully matured mm-hmm. and that is what's happening. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. But, uh, Amar- Amaryllis is worried that the, uh, men in black are looking for Asun, the, uh, not princess, the frog handmaiden that they, uh, not kidnapped. I keep seeing kidnapped, but liberated, rescued <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, they, you know, Asun knows that it's just like the five of them kind of with some magic and, and a lot of murdering and rampaging. Uh, and if the iniqu- uniquities were to approach her, like Amaryllis is saying, I hope that she would have some small amount of loyalty to us. Uh, but I know that in her situation, loyalty wouldn't be my pr- primary concern. And yeah, I, that's a damn good point. Uniquities could probably protect her better and offer her more than what these five jokers can. And uh, then then the council would lose their nascent nation. Would be that would be you know I guess good for a soon, but bad for our heroes. And I prefer our heroes to have their own nation that they can rule with a iron fist. So um, <laughs> I hope Iniquities does not find a soon. It's not clear to me that they need the Frog Maiden to uh, start their own country, like to start a population. I guess maybe, mm-hmm. but other than that, I mean. They've got the the Hollywood plan. They can hire regular people to run that yeah. stuff and bankroll their billions. They're going to make making Avengers movies. And uh, like they could also just like start a coup in a small nation somewhere, probably. Yeah. And you know, right. so it wouldn't be a, a, the end of the game, but it would cut off one useful avenue. Yeah. And I bet they could make a compelling case to Eswin or Eswin, um that, hey, look, we're actually like cooler and stronger than this, you know, shadow government organization, the um iniquities. Like mm-hmm. watch, we can kill all of them. We're we're crazy mm-hmm. strong, you know? Mm-hmm. So it they might be able to to 
keep her on their side. But um, I, so I wanted to pull this out because it was funny. Uh, Fen says, well, I don't care too much. I'd like to throw my hat in the ring for court jester though. And Amarillo says the court jester's job is about speaking, speaking truth to power. I'm sorry, but I don't think you'd be able to be good for that job. You would just make jokes. Okay, wait. That's that's total bullshit. She has on more than one occasion literally gone up to June and spoken truth to power because she was the she even said like as the court jester, I'm the only one who can tell you this thing, and so I'm telling it to you now. It's true. I I and I remembered that when Amarillo said this. I think that in general, she can't be counted on to be serious yet. She hasn't demonstrated herself to do that reliably. Um, I guess not reliably, but she's done it a few times and especially when it was really important. Yeah. So I think, I think you make a compelling point. She would be a, a good court jester. I just liked that. Uh, th- the way the rest of this played out, Bethel says, I'll appoint myself. And Fen says, yeah, but you have to also be funny. Right. And Amarillo sighs. And she's like, congratulations. You sidetracked us. <laughs> yeah. That always happens in meetings. It's so annoying. I fully copped to doing that all the time in meetings. Cause I haven't yeah. been to an office in like two years. You know, when else am I going to shoot the shit with people? I have to like just Bogart stand up to talk about, a movie or something right i tried to make you know wait till the stuff was over but you know sometimes you just want to just hang out but i would totally hate you <laughs> and be like and, oh my god that steven's guy gonna drag out our fucking meeting again i did make it i think we established some good rules that i mean i helped you know because it was my whole thing like hey mm-hmm. let's finish like the important part of this and if i know it's time we can hang out for another 15 minutes you know a few days a week just in the first morning meeting to while we get started stuff just because like it's good for our mental health we're all okay. sitting at home alone so yeah, it's not bad then. Um, I did even in, in, I in, introduced the team to Crocker's rules and said that if you guys want to say, Stephen, shut the hell up, you're distracting us, I won't be offended. So Cool. Um, yeah, we'll see how that goes to the next job. But uh, um, anyway, I that, that was basically my whole thought on that. I liked their little interaction. And I'm going to try to uh, toss out my previous disposition towards Bethel so we can have a fresh start, yeah. just like she did with Kumduna. You know, she, oh. she literally dumped her baggage in that cave and just, you know, changed herself. Yeah. So maybe she's a new person. I I hope so. Yeah, she she didn't instill me with a lot of confidence when she immediately was a mega bitch and possibly destroyed the time chamber, but you know, what can you do? Yeah. So there was a beat so, with yeah, Grack here. Yeah, Grack, like everyone else is more or less signing on but like okay, yes, let's be the official council and work with these iniquities guys uh on our whole taking over the world thing. But Grack has issues he is not signing on and he says that i will not be subsumed by this group which i mean i wanted to pause real quick and say that sounds like an incredibly i don't want to say rational thing but it sounds like a thing that many rationalists would say and it kind of feels like part of our coordination and social problems that we are very worried about becoming too much of like a group and doing groupthink rather than um being our own people and in some ways we can get just as wrapped up as anyone else in a group thing thing, but like his whole bristling at like the group going forward um, and, and not wanting to give up what he was doing is a, is a big deal to him. And it looks familiar to me. Um, And he like, you know, he starts saying this whole thing about like, I, I don't want to spend forever trying to get my gold, even though that was the deal that we did before. And just just there was kind of a little shit fit here. And Amaryllis like says, yeah, I personally guarantee you 10 million obols within two years time. If we don't, we'll fucking kill a dragon and take its horde or something. But like, 
I don't think it was about the money. And it, like even June says, it wasn't actually about money. It was about honor or something, maybe particular dwarven culture or to Grack. And I, I kind of like looking at it from Grack's point of view, I kind of get where he's coming from because even though it seems like this came out of the blue and what the hell is wrong with you, Grack? Like he did basically spend just three months sitting in a room, not making any progress at all on his quest. And now instead of going on further questing and redeeming themselves or something, they're sitting around, they're talking about sitting around in a capital city, making decisions, nation building. And that's just, that's not his jam. He still feels like he needs to do something to redeem himself, to earn this gold that he's going to be bringing back to his people. And like, if June was sitting around working on someone else's quest rather than trying to get Arthur back for three months, I think maybe he would be throwing the same kind of fit. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm assuming Grack was being paid for the time in the chamber, you know? Yeah, so, I like, think so. When he signed on for a pound of gold every two weeks and he needed a thousand pounds, so he's planning on waiting 2,000 weeks for this, you know, like, granted, there was going to be money making along the way that he'd get some share of, but that part hasn't changed, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not about the money. And that's where I loved Amaryllis's, like, frustration here. She's like, just tell us what you have to pay so you didn't walk away and get yourself killed going after another gold mage. Jesus Christ, crack. And mm-hmm. first of all, it's funny that that's become an expletive among the group. <laughs> because, like, that that wouldn't that wouldn't come just from reading the Bible, right? Right. I mean, oh, they probably mostly from watching from movies and June. stuff. Uh, from, yeah, watching movies or hearing June say it. But yeah, you're right, probably watching a lot of movies, too. Yeah. But... Um, it's like don't take the lord's name in vain (laughs) (laughs) yeah um it's so i don't think it's his true objection like i I don't think he's worried that he'll get his thousand pounds i think what he might actually be worried about is that hold on if we start like you know funding a nation i'm gonna be rich really fast uh i don't want to go back to the you know i I don't want to go back home you know this this is all moving too quickly for me something like that i mean that or the fact just that, like, look, I thought I was going to be following around a group of, you know, borderline psychopaths as you guys rampaged your way across the country, which I was fine with. This whole, mm-hmm. like you said, nation building thing uh, and reshaping the future of the content of the of the planet wasn't really that's kind of a bit beyond my pay grade. So I want more pay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like going around with a group of rampaging murder hobos is dangerous. You're like, you're putting your life on the line. And so you can get the feeling that you're like doing something risky to earn your redemption for from your clan or for your clan or whatever and if you're just sitting in an office like passing decrees and adjusting tax rates that that doesn't have the same feeling of you redeeming yourself yeah that's a good point you know if if they uh i don't know if it turned out that uh, well no i guess because slaying a unicorn is hard you're right like i was gonna say if they killed one dragon and a dragon bone is worth you know 10 million pounds of gold or something and they solve, or I guess, whatever, 10,000 pounds of gold, just to make it less ridiculous. And they solve their money problem immediately. Like, at least he earned that victory by killing a fucking dragon, right? Yeah. But you're right. Like, sitting there, and yes, running a business is making money, but it doesn't feel like the the penance part right. of this, right? His job, he didn't go off to go get 1,000 pounds of gold for penance, like, in the easiest, you know, most bougie way possible, right? Yeah. He it's feels like, no, like he I need needs to be, to be at risk. punished. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think part of him wants to die doing this. I but... get that impression, or at least like know that there's enough risk of death that he feels like it's worthy. 
Yeah, it. It's, I mean, maybe he does kind of have a death wish. Well, that if he if he was trying to die, he could be a lot better at doing that because he <laughs> he is very like careful, conscientious. He's a good fighter. Um, yeah, you know, if if all he wanted was to die, he's had plenty of opportunities to like take a fatal blow and make it look That's like true. it was a heroic death. But I think that you're right. Yeah. I think he just wants to feel like he's earned it. Yeah, and like you said, re- adjusting tax ra- tax rates just doesn't feel like yeah, you, know, you know, penance. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, uh, so- and I'm I'm glad that he did, you know, explain where he's coming from. And then, like you said, Amarilla says, "Look, I'll I'll promise you ten million obols, which I'm not sure what the trans translates to in gold, but presumably enough. Um, I think so. Yeah. And or we'll go kill a fucking dragon and take its horde if we have to. Um, mm-hmm. Which they're definitely gonna have to fight a dragon, which is awesome. <laughs> Uh, it also comes out during this meeting that, uh, whoops, they didn't introduce Valencia to Beth- Bethel or Bethel to Valencia. <laughs> and so they do that real quick. And Val asks, which one should I look at? Uh, the, the illusion that looks like a human or the staff that's actually Bethel. Bethel says the illusion. Uh, I produce it so others can imagine me as one of them. And Valencia nods and says, I dye my hair. <laughs> and like that was, I thought that was a very apt comparison like it's a valencia comparison it wouldn't occur to anyone else i don't think but like when she puts it that way yeah it's it's her way of of creating an illusion so that people can imagine that she's one of them instead of this weird other monstrosity thing and i I just that that was a cool cool little note to end on like valencia has no gauge for how weird it is to be talking to a house that is projecting an image of a person right yeah and so she's like oh that's that's what you want to look like yeah i want to look like this i do this to my hair it's like you said it's it's a very valencia comparison and Mm -hmm. she's in a i mean bummer that her life had to be the way it was for her to have this perspective but she's not ever in a position where she has like preconceptions about people so she gets to immediately humanize with them whenever she meets a new one it's great yeah Chapter 104, Consolation. The murder hobos have established enough shadowy street cred that this mysterious council of arches can make some demands and have them accepted. After settling matters for now with the men in black, they leave to go to the bottle and check on the locusts. And this is kind of fun. When they teleport out, uh, Valencia doesn't count as a person for the purposes of the teleportation key. Yeah. Because magic didn't recognize her as a person. And Bethel was a magic item, just like Ropey. And uh, I, to me, I just had to call that out as an interesting tidbit. You know, it's a clue for something, but you know, at this point, since everything's a clue, I'm losing track. But uh, it's, you know, I was wondering, like, okay, maybe it counts souls, but uh, so it can like do mass transport of livestock. But actually, can it do? No, I don't think it can. What like okay. mass transport specifically kills everything it transports, including even the uh, bacteria within it, which is why that one orc on the train was complaining about how. Uh, mass transported food never tastes the same because it's been completely sterilized. Oh, see, I thought he was just like a, you know, organic food nut job who didn't know what he was talking about. If if every time oh. they teleported, they killed all the bacteria on them, they would they would just die. Well, I mean, I think that's why the teleportation key is special. It can teleport up to five ensouled things without killing them. Hmm. Or, you know, maybe it does kill them because of that intense pain that they feel and like just recreates them immediately from their soul data or something. So the bacteria that, you know, live in my gut and on my skin are. No, you're right. It would have to, it would have to, it would have to include the bacteria. It would just have to not kill the five things that it transports, I guess. I don't know, man. Magic is funky, but like apparently persons that don't have souls, like, uh, 
like Bethel and Ropey and Valencia don't count, which is kind of crazy. But Rope, life, since livestock, sorry, livestock do have souls though, don't they? Or do so they not? I I don't think that they go to hell. Um, they have That's they have true. the I forget the ex anima and the ex whatever that that followed right. or talked about, which yeah. is bummer why we killed our one soul expert. But I'm sure it's in books somewhere. <laughs> um, like so, livestock have the kind that lets you use their bones, right? right? So they for, would be for bone magic. Yeah, so the ten- so teleportation would kill them then, since they got souls. Well, but they don't have souls that they can use to power motorcycles because they they use human embryos for that. Yeah, they don't have the souls that like have the glowy stick around after thing. But I, I mean, they have to have souls of some kind because, like you said, they you can draw stuff out of their souls through the bones. Yeah, I for me, I guess it was just mainly I wanted to pull out that again. This was just worth noting that Valencia doesn't count so just a, it's a weird thing for the magic because it again if it kills bacteria or something if you transport livestock but it doesn't kill the bacteria in val's gut which she needs soul or not then that's just it's interesting yeah yeah and you know ropey and bethel i'm like okay yeah they're 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 people but they're they're also objects like i have no confusions about why they're objects not not ones that are hammered together in a forge frenzy uh I mean, depending on how you have sex, it depends. You know, you could call it a forge <laughs> frenzy, but um, I, all right. Anyone who I, wants to like call the act of, of creating a child forge frenzying, I'm super in favor of that. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go forge frenzy later this week. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> what do you mean trying? We're forge frenzying every 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 night twice. Um, anyway, the uh, I, I don't have much to dig in onto it other than it's it's an indication as to how like the the teleportation magic works. Yeah. So I, I don't have, I don't have a lot to dig into there other than that I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Okay. So they do get to the bottle and they go down inside it and it is stiflingly hot inside. The grass is dead. Uh, the locust comes over limping and bleeding and panting. And like the whole thing just looks, the whole place looks like it's going to hell. Like it seems they got here without much time to spare. Yeah. I, you know, I get, like the limping and panting. Why the fuck is it bleeding? Did it lose a fight or something? I know it didn't because it's the only one in here, but like it's, it's through bullshit magic. If something is hurt, then you might as well be bleeding. Right. I guess. Um, yeah, it, but in the fashion one would hope, you know, one would fully expect actually from a game. They get it just in time. Yes. Yeah. And, and oh, the this locus. part is so cool. Yeah, it sees the baby Solus. Uh, Amaryllis holds it out to the Locus, and it like draws up this big old magical mist all around it and coughs it onto the baby. And then the baby like grows real fit, quick to a, uh, I don't know, like adolescent, pre-adolescent girl. I'm not sure. Sounded like she was 9, 10 to me. Yeah, something like that. Um, I, the best line in this, I, I don't know if we've put it quite this succinctly, but this will be it forever. Uh, June says, I steeled myself not knowing what to expect. Druids ran on bullshit, and the Locust was the source of that bullshit. Mm-hmm. And Druids run on bullshit is the best succinct summary of Druidism ever. It's fantastic. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, Solus is, looks like she's back to being Solus. Uh, she has the same intelligence and experience that she had in her previous life. Her connection to the Locust seems as strong and this is what he says. This is what we'd hoped for. What Emeralds had spent almost nine months for life in a cramped room on. And now it was all over. Uh, so huzzah, I guess. Mission completed. 
you put a question mark and I just put your goddamn right. Huzzah. <laughs> Yay. She's really back. The council of murder hobos gets an actual win. Woohoo. This is fantastic. Yeah, That's cool. It is. There's, it doesn't seem like there's any downside to this. No, I think I get where your question mark is coming from though, because it's like, Oh, we did it. And it's, it's the same thing with finishing the last Harry Potter book for Amaryllis yeah. in this case. Right. Yeah. And it's like, great. Okay. Well, thanks baby. Uh, we we're good. And, and mm-hmm. Solace being the best homie of the group, she glances over at Amaryllis, notices that she looks forlorn as fuck, and walks over to her, and they have a brief conversation. And Amaryllis picks her up, and they hug that lasts minutes, and Solace's small, dark green lips are moving, whispering something in Amaryllis's ear, and they broke apart. Amaryllis was crying happy tears. Aww. I know. I, I can imagine the kinds of things that she said, and it's extremely heartwarming, mm-hmm. you know? Because of druid bullshit, I'm sure Am- I'm sure Solace was aware the whole time that she's being gestated, you know, or something like that. Oh, you think? Like, I mean, I, I I can imagine her saying something along those lines, and I imagine it might be true. Like, you know, I know what you did for me. I was I was there. You know, I felt it. You know, I felt all of your anguish. I felt all of your stress. I felt your drive to save me, and that was immense. You know, something like that. And mm. whatever it was, it made Amarillo super happy, and thus made me super happy. Hmm. Um. I got, I got to throw this at you. Fen stood next to me and leaned in close enough to whisper. Does this mean Solace is a lolly now? <laughs> and I glared at her. She pulled away from me, smiling. She gave me a thumbs up, I think because she'd been happy <laughs> one of her earlier references had landed. A glare might have been the reaction she was going for. Yeah. And A, that's funny. And then I just put, just to troll you, because Fen is trolling us. I said, well, Fen has already showed a propensity towards fucking children. So this shade of weeb isn't surprising. It took me a bit to figure out what the fuck you meant by that. And and then I was like, oh, you're talking about she's fucking June. Yeah. Okay, cool. Then yeah. yes, I'm prime trolling there, sir. Yay. <laughs> and so the lolly thing, I, I am correct, is uh, a thing that is not in, you know, popular in Western culture because like fucking either a literal children or B people who look like literal children, uh, is frowned upon and that is like a that is a trope in some anime and graphic novels and stuff uh yeah i mean yeah, yeah. it's okay. it's sort of an aesthetic movement but it's pretty niche and i guess i don't know how many people know about it i don't know i i knew of the word lolly and i, I vaguely knew that it meant like you know young um well i didn't know if it meant young person young looking person or whatever uh mm-hmm. so i did google it and i think it actually comes from a, a russian novel or something um You've not heard of lolita uh well in the context of of lolly i had and i, I think i knew a, sh- a short for lolita but um but you yeah, haven't heard of the book lolita nope oh wow okay the, yeah the rock that... i grew up under was very big sir <laughs> I, I okay very well then um yeah yeah that's where it comes from yeah it was like a 30 year old guy fucking a 12 year old so yeah. um yeah so Thumbs down on that, but I do like Fen's, <laughs> Fen's joke here. So um, it was a good joke. June June won't stop asking questions about. So she's Sala's just jumping right back to being herself. She's like, "Oh, Greg, let me fix that hand." And June's asking questions about it and saying, "Well, we tried this and that." And he's like, "Hey, June, go get me a stick." <laughs> yeah. And uh, June's like, "Just just any old stick." And Sol says, "No, a special one. You'll know that it's special because it's the one you choose. Because she's a friggin' hippie." druid magic runs on bullshit and lack of knowledge mm-hmm. <laughs> part of me wondered if this is just an errand to keep june from talking and ruining her ability to fix grax hand oh <laughs> like if you explain to me why it's impossible i won't be able to do it mm-hmm. 
But okay, yeah, I, I had not thought of that, but maybe that that could be all it is. Just get get him the fuck away from there for a while. Well, he does bring back an he does bring back a stick. He settled in one mm-hmm. that had two forks in it, and it was dry and brittle, and most of its bark stripped off the outside. My skill at identifying wood pretty much stopped at yep, it's wood. But I assumed that this <laughs> one had come from the tree that served as the house, and. Ooh. I was like, if only he'd kept woodworking, he could have some useless knowledge about that twig. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, they do use that twig. So uh, when they ask what kind of hand it's going to be, um, Solace says, it'll be different. You know, better for some things, worse for others. Better, I think, for the type of person Grack is or would like to be. Which Very mysterious. What the hell does that mean? I don't, I don't know, but it's exactly the kind of thing that I knew, you know, that I'm not surprised to have come out of, of Solace's mouth. And yeah. it's... Uh, it's it's great um i guess like i don't know for the kind of person you want to be how does your hand really help with that i don't know i know how does like a stick that june pick like how does a stick hand relate to that i don't i don't i am confused but i'm not surprised that i'm confused by crazy things that solace says well she says in an hour or two it should be good as new so like it won't be a stick forever um in fact the stick like when she touched it, like molded, like, like clay, but, um, yeah, it's going to turn into a, a functional hand in a couple of hours, but I just like how, no, it'll be good for the kind of person that you are or that you want to be. And I'm like, how does my hand help me be the, be, be the kind of person I want to be? <laughs> it's maybe it's like the opposite of an evil hand. When you yeah. try to do bad things, it stops and does good things instead. Yeah. Like, you know, it just automatically opens doors for people or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway so he gets a bunch of uh game notifications yeah the first one being quest complete pregnant virgin princess <laughs> amaryllis has given birth to orang solace bringing her back from the dead if another of your party members dies don't expect it to be so easy which first of all i think that's kind of a joke because this was not really that easy but um i i just want to reiterate the same thing that i said earlier that i really wish they could have saved their one resurrection for one of the core members because I get the feeling what this is saying is like you get one resurrection per game unless, you know, you become God or do some other super amazing thing and you just used it up. So don't fuck up anything else. Yeah. I mean, unless you know something I don't, I still don't see why you think this this would have worked for anyone but Solace. Like they used a druid ritual to use to invoke the spell that Solace has used before to rest to rebirth herself. Yeah, like, so o- I mean, only she I, can be reborn that way because she's the it's a druid thing. Yeah, no, I agree totally. There's no way this ritual would have worked on anyone else, but I just mean like in a narrative sense or in a, a game sense, it it seems like you generally get like one freebie and if if someone else had died ra- instead of Solace, I think maybe there would have been some other way to resurrect them that would have been equally difficult, but you know, possible for them to achieve and also like something that is not repeatable and couldn't ever be done again like i just feel like it's my impression that a party would get one mulligan and and they just used it up and you know sure in this particular case this is the only way it could have happened because she was a druid but if someone else had died it would have been something else like if grack had died it would have been some sort of you must find the stone that he was birthed on and rechisel him from it or something you know Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I that could be. I and Amaryllis floated the idea when they're in the hospital that like, hey, I might I might need you to use like the full soul backup or whatever. And I still don't have a good grasp on how the Horcruxes work. Like, I would think with a Horcrux and I don't know a Doris Finch, you could just make a new Grack and restore restore him from backup. 
right? Well, no, it specifically said that it wouldn't work to um, act as like a a resurrection of someone who was dead because it didn't transfer over like their – I guess it transfers over like their values in their numerical format, but it doesn't transfer over whatever the animating drive is that makes a person a person. Oh, see, I thought that it did that. I thought the only thing it didn't bring was your skills. Because well, his memories are part, too, of, but... are part of his soul, and so is his body slash skeleton slash – uh values so it's like, like remember, all right well i'm not i'm not an expert um warder anymore but at least i'm not dead and i lost a few months of memory or something <laughs> but i mean i get the feeling you would get basically like a a breathing body that has those memories in it um but it wouldn't be a person or anything it wouldn't be moving on its own or thinking hmm i think it's and this might be uh, i will i'll check the discord this week when people help me figure this out because maybe it wasn't adequately explained or maybe I can just go back and read the chapter where he does the backups for him. Cause I'm really, I didn't, I just got like, Oh, straight up Horcrux. That was my vibe, but maybe I was anchored in the idea of having a Horcrux. And so, um, yeah, from what the actual word said, it sounded like he had a complete backup of like their physical forms, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't work as a resurrection thing. Hmm. Yeah, that is bad news. On the plus side, you know, they did use their their resurrection here to save one of their party members who's contributed so far nothing to the cause, the Locus. Um, yeah. But presumably will. In fact, you know, if soon, shortly after this, they are able to turn the Locus into a beautiful young maiden and able to come outside the jar and start inducting new druids, hell, that could also help jumpstart their new nation. Absolutely. Which brings us Every- to... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say every nation needs their own religion. And yes, that brings us to the next one. Well, yeah, man, good point. And this is like an actual one with an actual like borderline deity. Uh, mm-hmm. Quest accepted. Birth of a nation. You set out to become a real power in this world. No longer ind- independent agents bumbling from crisis to crisis, but mm-hmm. instead a nation bumbling from crisis to crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Your quest completion entails become accepted as a member nation of the Empire of Common Cause. Yeah, so this is, um, as we see in just a few sentences, the end of book four. And like it feels like the, the changing of an era at this point. Like I assume this means that we're going to be having a lot more political intrigue type of stuff and uh, a lot less direct personal questing and murder hoboing. And like I think that's good because it's nice for a story to evolve and start bringing us new things and new challenges in in new ways rather than just repeating the same kind of thing over and over every single season. But like I'm also gonna miss the questing. I I thought it was a lot of fun. It's why I started reading, and I hope they do still have to dive into a dungeon and kill a dragon now and then, in addition to all their statecraft stuff. Yeah, I mean. I got the same vibe as you. This this felt like a nice kind of calm things coming together, which was kind of cool. Um, I I don't really know what to make of like th- this does happen in games. You know, eventually you get strong enough to where it's like, okay, I no longer have to worry about gold, right? Mm-hmm. Like you do get these kind of like shifts in in stories when you're playing games or like in the the your day to day goals or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I I don't want them to just, you know, like I said, I don't want the next thousand pages just to be them, whatever, working on taxes and writing laws for the little country. Um, Oh, I'm sure it's not going to be just that, but I get the feeling it's going to be more high level stuff and less individual nitty gritty beatdowns. Yeah, maybe. I think 
it might be I think it'll have a bit of both because they do still have all their other quests to finish. So plenty of opportunity to murder hobo, murder hobo their way their, to their heart's content. Yeah, uh, you know if they if they ever just are itching for a killing, they can just swing by Doris Finch's neighborhood and start shooting at some of them, right? So, <laughs> right. And I don't remember what the quest update log was for taking root before, but I think this is the original text. It goes back to what it was before. Um, yes. Which, uh, so when Solus died, it changed. And now it's like the, the same thing it was, you know, the world is single druid. It needs your help. And uh, so that's kind of fun. Um, yeah. Then he gets a level and up. He does. Quests give tons of XP and he levels up from them. Yeah. And he only finished one, like, but I guess updating this quest counts as a lot. So, yeah, it was it was a big quest. And I there's two lines in the, the level up, which. I, you know, after the one in Almond's Tower, I, I was like, oh, they're not going to get any more graphic than that. Uh, they kind of do. It says, my brain splattered across the ceiling of the universe, becoming stars in the sky, each neuron a swollen red dwarf, the hyperspace connections between them engorged with the pleasure feeding through them. And I was like, well, that sounds mm. fun. Yeah. And then it was reductive, stripping away the, the thinking part of me, leaving only the animal pinning me down and fucking me, a fist thrusting straight into my brain, thick fingers manipulating my internal wiring. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds less fun. <laughs> he's He's got a hell of a ride. And I I mean, I would think he wants to get off the ride, but apparently maybe not so much because it says when I came to, they had me pinned down. Amaryllis was fixing my soul. She had intuited correctly that it was no longer a change I could make on my own, not after what I had felt. So yeah, he, he's, he's, um, he's really getting some insane level up highs now and apparently can't not want to just pursue that uh until he has the value dialed back down to something decent yeah i'm wondering there's a couple things there one despite the reasonableness of it this isn't them fixing him being mind wimmied by a soul raping nazi like you know you don't ask grax consent before you restore him to who he was before Falter screwed him up right mm-hmm. but you might ask June, hey, uh, you went a little crazy there. Do you want us to fix you? Like, Well, no, but that's the thing. He doesn't want them to fix him. That He says it was a change I could no longer make on my own. Like, He doesn't want it when, after he's felt that. He doesn't want it to ever go away. It's fun. So the, I guess that leads me to my next thought that like maybe leveling up restores his soul values. No, wait, because it, it didn't happen sounds- last time. He, he leveled up after uh, defeating Falliter and didn't have like, you know this level of problem with it well it seems like they get more intense the the higher his levels go that's true i wonder i haven't been counting i gotta go through the story and count how many level ups he's had but uh eh, at least doesn't matter 13 yeah, I don't or so yeah i think so along those lines yeah but still fun and uh yeah it's just a great place to bring it bring it home and it says then end of book five um, exactly so pretty cool yeah, this did yeah. feel like a nice kind of like things coming together. Again, the team gets a win. Uh, in a sense, they're back where they were two weeks ago, but now they've got a couple new party members and some badass new skills. So, And a government agency working with them to help them establish their own nation. Yeah, it's kind of fun. They're like, they're, they are back in the jar with Solace. And she's like, you know, where what's going on in the last couple of weeks? And so hmm. it feels like no time has passed, but like, look at all the stuff that's happened. Yeah. So cool. Yep. Uh, For next week, we are going to be doing our first retrospective episode where we look back over the last five books and what changes have 
come across our heroes, how we feel about things, and we are going to be inviting special guests to this. Our guests are going to be Griffin and Gorky from the Discord, who also recently started their own analysis podcast about Mother of Learning called Shaping Exercises 101. Tune in for that in one week's time. It took some convincing because uh, I want to naturally keep going, but this does feel like the best stopping point we've had. And mm. I just listened to the first uh, episode of Shaping Exercises today, and it was a lot of fun. All right, cool. And um, before we go, don't forget that you can rate and review us at any one of your podcast outlets. We always appreciate that. And you can always give us a little bit of money on Patreon, which we would appreciate a whole lot, almost as much as June appreciates getting a level up. Because, you know, we, we can pay some of our bills when we do that. And that always feels really good. <laughs> That's right. Um, do swing by the podcast store of your choice and give this a rating if you like it. And if you don't, don't do that. Also swing by Alexander Wales, Patreon, throw some money his way. He's still working on stuff. I don't think he stopped to, you know, even like go out to lunch between finishing this story and starting his next one. So uh, big shout out to him too. This is his game. We're just playing it. Thanks everyone. See you in a week. Bye-bye.